Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Thank you so much, Global Star, for carrying our program. Thanks for your belief and your trust in us, folks, as we walk through this minefield of current events together. You know, past is prologue, isn't it? A lot of what we're seeing today, well, isn't that what we've seen or what the history books don't tell us, but uh, our guests, Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, do. I don't know how many people know this. Uh, we've talking been talking about this. We've been promoting this. The uh, the seminal works of uh, Tom Horn and Steve Quayle are now manifest in a book titled Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters. Compelling evidence of the incursion of giants, their extraordinary technology in imminent return. Some people might hear that and say, oh, man. Put the crack pipe down, walk back a few steps, and re- reconfigure yourselves. But the evidence, in, in my view anyway, the evidence is, is indeed present. Biblical, historical accounts. And um, I can't think of two better people to lay all of this out than our guests Steve Quayle and Tom Horn. Now, um, J- Jackie, you're manning the... Manning the boards. Do we have Steve and, and Tom on? Do we? All right. Steve, I'm going to pop it over to you. Welcome, my friend, Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. Steve? Thank you. I didn't know if you were going to introduce Tom, too, at the same thing. But, uh, oh, well, let's Yeah, okay. What I'll introduce him when when I get this, through this rather two-hour introduction. No, I'm just kidding. The <laughs> fascinating events that are taking place in the world of archaeology, cosmology, everything that's going on now has been recorded in the ancient past. And unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters, let me explain something. Cloud eaters was the name given to us by Cliff Mahudi, who's a Zuni elder, when I asked him point blank, what do you call the giants? Now, in the special forces community, they call them long walkers. But cloud eaters simply means if you're like a six-foot guy looking up at an 18-foot giant, you're going to see literally on a cloudy day, it's going to look like his head is in the cloud. And why they call them eaters is because, gee, what we're going to talk about tonight is the fact that cannibalism has come full forward now, full circle, with even uh, some of the lead scientists saying it's a good way to increase the protein source on Earth. I think they're probably having dinner on, uh, you know, human remains or something, because, and I'm not kidding, What what is intrinsic and important and I guess a better word would be inherent in our discussion tonight is when Tom first broke on the show, Doug, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the gates of hell being opened, the idea was that literally a gate held something back or allowed something through. So the events that are taking place now, everything that's disgusting, everything that's perverted, everything that is absolutely like the times of old are coming back into our knowledge. 
and it's critical that people understand that the evidence, the incursion of giants in history is undeniable. The references in ancient writings are undeniable. The standards of which courts base evidence and base findings is undeniable. It was Orwell that said they who control the past basically determine the future. The reason why this is so critical at this time in venture, in uh, our, let's just say this, progression downward, is because Jesus specifically said in the days, the last days, if the days weren't shortened for the elect's sake, the elect are those who believe in him, that there'd be no flesh left alive. And it's funny now that even as people will argue with that, the biggest theme and meme now coming out of Hollywood and even on television, or rightly named Devil Vision, is the idea of cannibalism. So when Tom and I put this book together, The Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, I pretty much dealt with the civilization of angels. A lot of people have a misunderstanding of angels. A lot of people have a hard time to reference angels. Uh, the idea that we're dealing with pre-flood or antediluvian and a pre-judgment period that some people call pre-Adam, some people call prior chaos. The point is, is that what we've done in this book, all 505 pages, is take it from the beginning of the beginning. Now, Genesis, it talks about the world being, being in a state of chaos without form and void, and those words are tohu and bohu, but in the book of Isaiah, it said that God did not create the earth. Uh, void. So where is this dichotomy? Is this a contradiction? Not at all. Because the angelic civilizations that even the day, uh, and the Sumerian table of kings goes back almost a quarter of a million years, there's a difference in the size and reign of the king. Some of these guys reign 36,000 years, and everybody tries to put it into the understanding that, oh, well, gee, this is a misplaced decimal system, etc., etc. But what most uh, scholars will not deal with or touch is that in all the different Babylonian, Assyrian, Assyro-Babylonian, and all the myths, legends that came forth after the plains of Shinar and Nimrod's attempt to build a tower who reached into heaven, which was nothing more than a gate, before Genesis, uh, uh, the book of Genesis speaks specifically that God uh, divided the continents, if you will, in the days of Peleg. All of these things are focusing on what we're going to talk about and what we deal with in our book. The catastrophic nature of what happened to the planet Rahab. I think what most people are going to get from this book, Doug, is the fact that from the beginning to the end, Jesus told us what it was going to be like. There are, there are ancillary accounts, but the New Testament and the Old Testament, and the New Testament refers to this time period, that they're, they're very concise in what's going on. You cannot escape that there's a war going on. We see wars on earth as a reflection of wars in heaven. We see, obviously, the serpent which stood erect in the Garden of Eden until God cursed it to crawl on its belly is even the name of uh, the United States. 
if you will, the Americas, Amaruka, Land of the Plumed Serpent. When Tom and I were in the desert southwest, they described the entities that came through the gates that they currently open today. And for the record, if everybody wants to see, and look, it's not like the Stargate series, but uh, a photographer friend of mine who was down the Grand Canyon, interestingly enough, a couple weeks ago, took the picture of a 13-foot tall, hollowed out, not a cave, but almost like a, if you will, a, a pear shape, not a pear shape, but a, oh, I guess you'd say almost an, uh, an oblong uh, indentation or added in the side with a, with a, piece of wood uh, stumped there that evidently somebody goes to communicate with spirits. So where this leads and where this started, literally we've been all over the desert southwest, Tom and I are mutual film teams, film crews, we've joined together our talents, and while we've been on parallel tracks for pretty close to 20 years, uh, it seems like the Lord in his mercy is bringing this stuff together. Now, people ask me, why do you guys focus on this? Why don't you deal with just winning souls? Why don't you deal with this, that, and the other thing? You know, uh, the reason we do what we do is because we're both called to do it. Jesus said men's hearts failing them for looking for fear, for looking after those things coming upon the earth. People get upset when you talk about the days of Noah. They said, well, there's just violence. We're talking about violence that is carried down genetically. And even, I think a couple days ago, Doug, I don't know if you saw it, and Tom, maybe you saw it, but they've proven that nematode worms even have 14 generations of memory. So what we're finding is that we're, we're now seeing, if you will, not only the gates of hell opening up, but the time that Daniel was told that knowledge would increase and run to and fro, we're seeing now the revelation. We're seeing God unveiling that which has been hidden for thousands of years in which the occult and the Egyptian priesthood, by the Egyptian priesthood, I'm talking about the keepers of the secrets, all of these things we're uh, dealing with bring together or brought us together in the desert southwest as well as the islands of Sardinia, the islands of Malta, the islands all uh, through the Aegean, even into uh, North America, which again is called Amaruka, the land of the plumed serpent. So this is probably the most complete and concise pre-flood and post-flood presentation of why myths, legends, and all of even the church fathers referred to this time period, and why it's critical for everyone to understand, because there's going to be a compelling series of events that's coming on the scene, and it's going to cause people to doubt their faith, to doubt the Word of God, and an entire contra-genesis position is going to be put forth for people to believe in all the artifacts which the secret societies and the power brokers uh, deal with on the black market and draw occult powers from, that's their words, not mine, they're going to be brought forth and they're going to lay out a compelling series of uh, artifacts, evidence, and new findings just like what's going on in the Antarctic. And by the way, you know you know when you've got all the heads of the intelligence agencies, the primary intelligence agencies, meeting in New Zealand and they could basically go someplace in the mountains of Colorado, you've got to ask yourself why. So with no further ado, I'll turn it over to Tom. And we're really excited, ladies and gentlemen, 
the lost world of the cloud years. We'll deal with the uh, other issues that we're going to be talking about, but right now we're going to focus on the book for this first hour, and then the second hour we'll focus on the DVD slash the book, and then the third hour we'll tell people why the conference in Branson, Missouri in September is unlike any other conference. It's because our focus is singular and is bringing together, in my opinion, some of the most uh, detailed researchers and well-written and well-placed research that's ever been undertaken. And it's like, in my opinion, God has raised up uh, these men who will be in Branson for such a time as this. Go ahead, Tom. Welcome. Hey, uh, so good to be on the radio again uh, with Doug and Joe and Steve Quayle, and thanks for having me on the program with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- without doubt, this is the biggest thing we've ever done. And, you know, a lot of people think, Steve, that you and I have written numerous books together. Uh, and actually, we never have published a book together. This is the very first time we've ever done it. And it really was just a series of events from you know, a former spokesperson for the Smithsonian and a 20-year museum curator by the name of Michael Herring, uh, me just having a uh, almost an accidental meeting with him, um, and then, you know, you and me and him uh, corresponding between the three of us and the doors that he opened for us to meet with the tribal elders. By the way, these are the leaders of the tribes, not Johnny Come Lately. <laughs> these are absolutely the, the governors of the nations. Uh, which, among the Hopi, the Zuni, this just does not happen. They're very suspicious of white people. Uh, so for us to get the opportunity and then the stuff that they revealed, uh, it, which we'll get into some of this tonight, but, I mean, it was so amazing, so groundbreaking. I mean, you know, one of the first things uh, for me, Steve, that was eye-opening was how we learned from Michael Herring uh, and then from the tribal elders that we met secretly with for a week this last year how there are secret societies among the tribes. You mentioned secret societies a moment ago, and and you and me both would mostly mean by that things like the Freemasons and whatever. Uh, I did not know that there are secret societies among the Indian tribes, and when Michael Herring first brought that up, and he said, yeah, think of it as an Illuminati among the Native American uh, nations, compare it to the Freemasons. And then, when we started learning about it, we learned through him and the tribal leaders that one of the secret societies is called the Giants Society, and these are the people, some of whom were at that table with us, uh, including medicine men, that, well, they claim to communicate with uh, and bring up the spirits of the Giants. Uh, one One of the men that was with us there that day, his wife... Uh, talk that very day about bringing up one of the giants and visiting with it. Some spooky stuff, right? Uh, but they also claim that they protect the, the giant remains, the skeletons, the bones, the technology that belonged to them, including the ancient Stargate, which they roughly described to us where it's at, and I'm hoping we're going to have a follow-up excursion to that location. Angelic technology, basically, uh, in a secret place that um, was roughly described to us and that I'm not going to go into, but I do think you go into it in the documentary film, part of your documentary. Uh, And and then, of course, um, the book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, which is 505 pages, as you say, and you wrote 250 pages. uh, For the listener out there, when you get this book, the whole first section is dealing with 
uh, pre-flood, even pre-Adamic uh, creation, uh, technology of the angelic world. Um, and so Steve does 250 pages of fascinating research, uh, and then I pick it up from there and talk about um, the uh, from Genesis 6 and forward, as well as um, what we learned uh, here among the Pueblo tribes in the Four Corners area of the United States this last year, and then compare that to what we know from biblical chronology and uh, history. And anyway, what a gigantic, gigantic project. And it wasn't just me and Steve Quayle. Uh, for the listener, you should know that Steve had an entire team of investigators. I had an entire team of investigators. We're talking about carloads of people. People flying in with helicopters into the four corners area of the United States, spending a week with the tribal uh, elders. It's such a gigantic project. But we also literally did uncover... Uh, previously undisclosed and unpublished information about the lost world of the cloud eaters and that's what the documentary film and the book uh, reveals in fact it's such a big project that uh, Steve decided that we literally have to have a conference in September and later on Steve will tell you about that uh, Anselm P. Rumble, uh L.A. Marzulli, Timothy Alberino, Dr. Michael Lick, Dr. Langford, Derek Gilbert all these people going to be in Branson, Missouri and when Steve gives you the information about that, you're going to want to check into it really quickly because Gordon McDonald, who used to uh, organize the Strategic Perspectives Conference for Chuck Misler, my friend, um, after Chuck Misler retired, Gordon left um, that organization, and he's now working for Steve Quayle on this project. <clears throat> and he's been telling us that the sales are, are more than brisk. In fact, we know that without... With this being the very first radio show that we've done mentioning this conference, nothing else, just a couple of Facebook posts and things like that, it's already half sold out. And the, the venue, uh, which is the mansion, the beautiful mansion theater in Branson, Missouri, can hold 3,000 people, and we know it's going to completely sell out before the event. Um, so this is going to be something that you're not going to want to miss. And we're talking right now with Jim Baker about maybe also co-sponsoring that and having some programs filmed uh, on the Jim Baker Show so that people who are at this conference can go the day after over to Morningside and be part of the live audience over there. So anyway, giant, giant, humongous project. Uh, but I couldn't be more excited. I mean, Steve, I could have hardly imagined this last year when we, when I here packed up my off-roads uh, vehicle, and we ventured into the four-corner area of the United States, how much that trip was going to pay off, or the doors that were going to be open, and the unanswered questions that were going to be raised. But the bottom line is, when all was said and done, uh, my crew, your crew, um, we got answers that is going to demand that the history of America uh, be rewritten. I mean, you won't be able to face this evidence and still believe that America at one time, you know, before uh, Christopher Columbus landing at San Salvador Island in 1492, that America had been hermeneutically sealed off from the rest of the world. You're going to learn that that absolutely is untrue. There is a significant evidence, both pictorial, uh, textual, and otherwise, to the contrary, diffusionism that, uh, that, is, that does 
already and is going to confront scientific orthodoxy. And as a matter of fact, we may even get a sit-down with the Smithsonian that's interested in some of this information. The bottom line is there's archaeological sites, artifacts, photographic evidence, all of it that suggests several things. Number one, that numerous pre-Columbian seafarers traversed the Atlantic Ocean and interacted with early Native Americans. Number two, that architecture here in the United States compares to pre-flood megalithic structures worldwide and testifies of a time when angels ruled on earth and then thirdly that the giant offspring of these watchers were cannibalistic dragon worshippers that spread across the earth like a locust plague uh, desecrating everything in their path including winding up here in what we today call the United States of America and that is not just our opinion. What you'll find in the book Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters uh, is how we met with indigenous leaders from several of the Pueblo tribes and how they preserve in their oldest stories um, the, we would call them legends, but they correspond with biblical chronology, uh, including this sudden violent incursion by giants worldwide, which of course the central uh, to our research. For example, the Apache told me uh, of the legend that they have, it goes back to their earliest uh, history, of these Indians, they called them the Tartums, uh, but they they once lived, they were peaceful farmers, um, they were in the area, Mount Graham actually in Arizona, which we, you know, we covered a lot of that in some of the works I did with Chris Putnam, and by the way, if there are people listening to this program that don't know this, Chris Putnam passed away uh, at 51 years of age just a couple of months ago. And so uh, Chris is gone, but he leaves behind the research and work uh, that he produced that we believe will continue to minister to people for a long time. Him and I went to Mount Graham. That's why I raised his name. But they tell the story of the Indians that lived in that area and how all of a sudden... At the same time, by the way, that Moses on the other side of the world is writing in the Pentateuch, there were giants on the earth in those days. Uh, here in the Americas, uh, these uh, what they call the Jindupids, they, they, they describe these things as Goliaths. They're so big they use tree limbs for toothpicks. Uh, and they're led by this massive uh, humanoid-type uh, thing called Evilkin, uh, who allegedly came from the area around uh, the Gulf of Baja. But those giants were wiping out the Tartans. Uh, so they ran, they hide themselves on the ground in the mountains, they cry out to the great creator God, and he sends a flood that covers the earth. And, it, and their, their story around this matches the biblical narrative and was recorded at the same time as the biblical narrative. So a minute ago, Steve, when you said some people ask why we talk about this kind of stuff, it's because it supports Scripture. It 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 it, it uh, collaborates, if you will. But these global events that are talked about in the Bible are not myth. They did happen, and people in cultures around the world, in their own way, uh, recorded those events as happening right when the Bible says that they did, including the fact that the flood was sent because giant marauders were terrorizing and cannibalizing. Uh, people uh, around the world, and so uh, some of the, you know, some of the way that the American Indians tell the story is 
it's translated according to their world view, and so we would think of those parts of it as mythological, but for the most part, it's it's remarkably uh, thematic, if you will, coherent with the Bible's book of Genesis, chapter 6. Uh, the Apache creation myth is interesting in another regard as well, uh, which we learned about, in that a particular version of it talks about the one who lives above who descends down over the mountain in a flying disc at the start of creation, in the beginning, when nothing existed. Uh, and, and this creator, uh, riding upon this heavenly disc, as they describe it, sounds literally like it's taken out of the Bible, where it describes God in the same kind of language. There's a dragon with the power of speech who beguiles mankind, teaching them to use their kivas, their underground rooms where their prayers and rituals were made, uh, to practice witchcraft and sorcery, uh, what the Bible calls pharmakia, the effort to use mind-expanding drugs to put yourself in contact with those who are on the other side of the gateway, uh, and that, how this played a role in the opening of supernatural gateways in um, you know pre-Columbian American history uh, through which the giants uh, came and uh, and terrorized the early Americans. So um, Now, Michael Herring, who I mentioned briefly a moment ago, uh, he was an American Indian Museum curator for over 20 years, and that's how he was also, when he was also um, an indigenous art PhD for the Smithsonian and gave lectures at the Smithsonian for many, many years on that subject matter. And he's probably listening to this program tonight, and if he is, Hi, Mike, and, and uh, kiss your beautiful wife for us. Uh, but through him, we were able to get a, a private, week-long, secret meeting toward the end of last year with the leaders of the nation. And the one you mentioned a moment ago, Mahuti, um, again, no Johnny come lately. Uh, he, is the, he was the head of tribal affairs to the United States government for decades. Uh, and he's in your documentary film talking about things. In fact, I thought it was funny because part of when you're filming him, uh, you know, he's he, the other native uh, tribal leaders are sitting there and their eyes are wide because he's giving up secret, private uh, information that's not supposed to be shared outside of the tribe. And he looks right at the camera and says, you know, I'm old enough. I've been around long enough. What are they going to do, kill me? I'm just going to talk about this stuff. And some of the stuff he gives up is unbelievable, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about because I don't want to ruin the content of the documentary film. Uh, so I'm only gonna hint at that uh, and what's in the book and so on uh, about the cloud eaters uh, and what has until now been very highly guarded Native American information regarding locations, stargates, the bones of giants and uh, so on. So anyway, Steve, what a blast, man. I mean, how crazy is it that, that all of these doors opened up in a short period of time, and uh, I drove into the into the Valley of the Gods while you and Timothy and, and your team are flying in on a gigantic helicopter. <laughs> and uh, we got some great footage of that event. Well, I think that what's important for people to understand, we have to cover and had to cover a vast amount of space to basically trace uh, the total, if you will, migration and what caused the migration of the, excuse me, of the Anasaze. Now, I want to share something, too. When we were talking about all this stuff, the 
the question that kept coming up, Tom would look at me across the big table we're all seated at and probably see me ready to jump out of my skin because what was interesting to me is is with the history that the Native Americans possess of the giants eating their people, they still venerate them. And they yeah. told us, and this is something that people need to understand, that now in contemporary time, this isn't old stuff, the giant societies get together at periodic times and open the gates and the giants tell them they're coming back. Now, why they can't come through yet, I don't know. It's probably to do with God's timing. But what we were able to do is basically place and put together a thread of history that quite candidly the official narrative has always tried to avoid. There are specific proteins found in the uh, uh, scat of animals and humans that uh, indicate that cannibalism, when you eat human flesh, only specific proteins can be uh, tagged, identified, and analyzed that would be indicative to uh, flesh eaters. Now, here's what's interesting. Most people have got to understand this. We're talking about the gates of hell opening, and both the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians practice ritual sacrifice of children and pretty much infants. Now, this wasn't infanticide. This was absolutely a ritualistic slaughter of children. And what we're seeing in some of the leaks from WikiLeaks, and Doug, you'll find this interesting, the very same appetite for the blood of children is now present in the headlines of today. It doesn't matter if mainstream media will cover or not. As I've declared since I've been on talk radio, some people get offended, but mainstream media is nothing more than vomit brokers, and nobody wants to hang around vomit. As a matter of fact, it stinketh. So when we're talking about human sacrifice, when we're talking about the desert southwest, when we're talking about and go to uh, the areas of Sardinia and Malta, and the Sardinians is called the Island of Giants. Now, let me explain something. One of the criticisms that's always leveled, where where are these bones of giants? I just want to have one picture. There are 149 million non-documented, out-of-place artifacts that don't fit the historic narrative. There are, what, Tom, 14 500-yard buildings 500-yard buildings, two and three, four, two and three floors uh, high. And when we got that information, it was like everything started to click. Now, I want to read something. This just came to me a couple days ago, and uh, I want to thank the gentleman. I won't, uh, Tobias, I won't tell any more than that, but he said this. Steve, I'm a resident of Vero Beach, Florida, home of Rick Wildster News. The Smithsonian just started a dig here in town between the health department and airport. They claim to my mother they are looking for pre-human bones. They claim to have bones that have a mixture of animal and human DNA. I want to say that again. They claim to have bones that have a mixture of animal and human DNA. Those would be called, ladies and gentlemen, chimeras. When when asked if they were talking about giants and Nephilim, they said there are no such thing as giants and clammed up very nervously. Well, you know, here you've got it. And the whole Florida Isthmus, the entire area around the Gulf Coast is riddled 
with giants. It's riddled with uh, bones. And so it evidently, here's what's happening. As the storms come, just as floods come, a lot of the bones are being revealed. And what's going to happen? You mark my words, everyone listening to this program. There are going to be simultaneous fines announced that will not be able to be covered up by the U.S. government as more and more countries turn against it. And when people see that everything they've been told in history, taught in history, is pretty much a lie. And and here's the other question I want to answer right off of the top of this discussion. The reason why giants is a taboo is because it goes back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of earth were fair. It's interesting. I think, Tom, you said this, and it really got me going in a whole different train of thought. It was that the angels wanted to insert themselves into the human genome. They wanted to become human, and I'll be blunt, because of sex. And now we've got humans who want to become gods living for eternity. By the way, that's what angels possess, and and the Bible teaches. It does not teach annihilation of the soul. It teaches that, uh, you know, you reap for eternity what you sow on earth. So the reason for the cover-up, let me say this another time, the reason for the cover-up is because it bears witness to the truth of the Old Testament. There are 33, interesting number, how many degrees are there in masonry before you get into the super-secret ones? 33 mentions of both Nephilim-translated giants and Rephaim, or Rapha, translated the dead. And the Rephaim, okay, is very, very fascinating because, again, in in one of the scriptures, I think it's Isaiah, it says, uh, shall the dead rise to praise thee? I've got so many scriptures going on in my head right now, if I don't mean to intentionally mislead. But that word dead is Rephaim. You know, here's another thing that most people have never put together, that in, in Ezekiel, the prophet, can these bones live? Well, you know, you can take that as meaning the nation of Israel came back and God's going to raise up, blah, blah, you know, all of the promises that are associated with classic dispensationalism. But what a lot of people don't understand is that in the book of Joel, he calls forth his mighty army. They run on the walls. They basically leap over the walls. And that's not talking about a bunch of gymnasts from China. It's talking about a supernatural sized entities that are part of God's uh, army in the last days. And, and, you know, Tom, I think you and I spoke about this, maybe at your studio or at your home. It dawned on me, and I believe that was the Lord saying, take a look at this, Steve. The reason that the military is basically looking at the super soldier program, and by the way, it's going on all over the world. You can't even look at the front page of Drudge now without seeing human attenuation, human modification, Ellen Musk talking about the brain. This is stuff that even the prehistory, before the Genesis 1-1 account of, uh, or Genesis account of man being created in God's image and likeness in the book of Genesis, talks about technology. You see, Christians have always tried to compress time into 6,000 years. But again, I draw, uh, you know, everyone's attention. By the way, if people want to read some great stuff written by one of the most brilliant researcher, authors, ethnographers, archaeologists, anthropologists, Arthur Custance, you can go to Custance.org and look at his without form and void. Custance, C-U-S-T-A-N-C-E.org. 
So this is critical because it deals with the time before, or let's call it the times that that uh, the Illuminus, the priesthood, has chosen to keep all of the references to that period pretty well locked up. So, ladies and gentlemen, when we were uh, concurrently putting together uh, True Legends, the third DVD called The Holocaust of Giants, we originally started out with the title There Were Giants, but The Holocaust of Giants, the more that Tom investigated, the more that he went in, and I'll let you talk about the Sand Canyon incident, and for the record, we saw direct intervention by shadow people and shadow government with one of the uh, people that Michael Herring had set up to talk to us, because uh, if, if this isn't a fair statement, Tom and I are on camera, which you'll see in the DVD, talking about it, and boy, were some of the people in the National Park Service upset because it didn't fit at Mesa Verde, their uh, common reason why the ruins there were abandoned. So, Tom, isn't it interesting that that in all of your research, the Sand Canyon incident now was a curator of that whole find in the grisly, if you will, dismemberment and cannibalism of the Native Americans that someone tipped them off not to talk to us. Go ahead, well, sir. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, absolutely. And by the way, people should know that I vetted Michael Herring, uh, and I, I was able to find extensive documentation of his life and career as a curator, as a spokesman for the Smithsonian, at the Smithsonian, as a Ph.D. in American Indian Art. Of course, the proof in the pudding for me and you, Steve, was the people that he got to sit down at the table with us, which we'd have never otherwise been able to meet with, but they had been friends of his, his for um, many, many years. Uh, and uh, he, so when I pointed out the San Canyon Pueblo uh, dig, which had turned up uh, very large Anasaze bone remains, gigantism, uh, double row teeth, polydactyly, they had six fingers, six toes, uh, these mutations that they dug up out of San Canyon Pueblo. Uh, and the report, of course, was published on one of the uh, uh, Colorado University uh, web pages, and I had read it and, and pointed it out to him. He got a hold of the people. They knew him. They knew him from years ago. By the way, there's even books written by him that were published by the Smithsonian that are at, at Amazon. But um, he set it up for us to meet with the people that had dug up those bones, and the bones, of course, were repatriated, which is a law that was passed in the I think the 1970s, we have to surrender the bones back to the nations, and then they're supposed to take those bones and rebury them. Uh, but uh, uh, but they had the photographic evidence, all of the details about the double row teeth, all that, which is in the report. And by the way, I can send that report to somebody if they want to email me. They can read the university's report on it. Uh, but we wanted to know about these unusually large mutations that they had dug up uh, that were the remains of ancient Anasazi. Um, and uh, uh, so they agreed that they were going to meet with uh, Steve and I and our team, our research team, and then all of a sudden, man, I don't know who said what to who, but all of a sudden they pulled out and said, no, thank you, don't call us no more, don't talk to us no more, don't anything. Um, and so uh, tonight I think we should disclose to the listeners some of the breakthrough information that we nevertheless uncovered on the topic of cannibalism because there was the evidence of cannibalism there at San Canyon too, uh, and the ancient secrets of giants' resurrection and this key connection to what happened to the Anasaze 
So we'll get into that in a moment because you raised the whole issue of cannibalism a couple of times. But also, Steve, because you mentioned the Smithsonian storage buildings, uh, I have a request in right now through Michael Herring to meet with one or more of his old Smithsonian curator friends uh, to, that are still working today at the Smithsonian uh, to ask, straightforward, let them answer any way they want, is there any truth to the conspiracy theory that their museums, their research centers that are administrated by the government of the United States are hiding, concealing the bones of other spectacular giants that were removed from burial mounds in our nation's earliest uh, history. Uh, now, we're working right now to set up that interview, and there is a chance that we are going to get it. In fact, I'll read you just a clip out of Michael's latest email to me. Very promising. He writes this. He says, Tom, I finally was able to make contact with one of my Smithsonian friends, Dr. Bruce. Now, by the way, he gives his last name, but I'm going to withhold it right now for Dr. Bruce's own privacy. Um, I was able to talk to Dr. Bruce yesterday. He was one of the initial directors of the Museum Support Center, one of the Smithsonian's vast state-of-the-art warehouses, the size of five football fields and two and three storages high. They have 14 of these throughout Maryland and Virginia, which house more than 149 million objects. Uh, he could give us a lot of great background information, but most importantly, and I get what he says here in this email, most importantly, he just gave us a green light with regards to a philosophical approach to other Smithsonian staff that I know who might prove most interested in helping us to try and locate the giant bones. Uh, Bruce believes that scientific anomalies that could not be made sense of, like the giant bones, were stored away in these warehouses. He believes that searching the collections now for the bones of the giants is a valid investigation. We just need to talk to the right people. I hope to speak to two current senior Smithsonian staff members tomorrow, end quote. So um, you can imagine how excited I am to know that there really is a good chance uh, either before we release our new book and documentary in three weeks from now, uh, or right after that, that we may finally have the chance to get to the bottom of one of America's greatest mysteries and the role that the Smithsonian played, or is continues to play, in regard to um, a cover-up. Now, for those that don't know what the great Smithsonian cover-up entails and how it's connected to the secret locations of giant bones, this is something that we deal with in great detail uh, in the upcoming book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, including some of their own official reports that detail the giant remains of extraordinary size uh, humans, their own reports from their own uh, archives. So, uh, we, again, this was information that I had heard talked about in conspiracy uh, you know, circles on the Internet and whatever for many, many years, but I had never actually seen or read evidence of what was dug up from underneath the burial mounds other than very old newspaper articles, uh, but I had never seen the evidence uh, supported by official documents of the Smithsonian Institution until we got into this research. We reproduced that stuff in the book Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters. And let me say something here early on. Um, if a person uh, clicks on the, the Hagman ad there that shows the copy of the book, or if you go to skywatchtv.com, 
um, uh, today, you'll see the the video trailer up there talking about the documentary book. I mean, the book. We don't have the trailer yet. I'm waiting on that from Timothy Alberino and Steve Quayle. We don't yet have the trailer for the documentary film. I understand it's coming very soon. But the trailer for the book is up there. And then right below that, there's a little ad you can click on to pre-order. And if you pre-order the uh, uh, what we're calling the Cloud Eater Mega deal, um, you get the, the book and the documentary film at a discounted price. But in addition to that, uh, you get two more other books free. You get a 24-hour audio collection with me and Steve Quayle talking about everything him and I have researched over the last uh, 10 years. You get that free. Um, but also, uh, on checkout in the store, and we're only doing this for the Hagman and Hagman program, uh, if you type in the promo code, either in the comment section or where it asks you for the code, if you type in Hagman-Enoch, uh, I'm going to have the um, the warehouse also include uh, the brand-new hardback collector's edition of the Book of Enoch, which has the first-ever narrative about how the giant cloud eaters arrived uh, on Earth. So it's it's like over $200 worth of stuff we're going to give you for free if you pre-order over there. So uh, just be aware of that. Uh, also, sometime tonight, if we possibly could, I'd like to talk about, um, you know, is there is is there something that we can do to uh, cause people to send in a donation to Hagman & Hagman? Um because i got to tell you, folks, you're listening to this program. The Hagmans don't ever beg for money. In fact, I'm probably embarrassing Doug by even bringing this up. Um, these guys work their butt off. They never stop. They're willing to interview uh, the most you know, uh, cutting-edge people that the mass media, the fake news, as Donald Trump calls it, won't touch with a 10-foot pole. The, the people that try to control the narrative, like... Uh, you know, in the old days, the doctrine of John Wesley Powell and the cover-up of the Smithsonian, um, where you have people like the Hagman and Hagman, they do this every day, they spend all their time. I think we should we should try to, I don't know, I don't really know what I'm saying because I'm kind of making this up as I go, but every time I'm on this program, I always think, man, it would be great if we could do something also for the Hagman. You're, you're very kind, Tom. Th- thank you so much. And uh it's not necessary. God bless you. Thank you. And you know what? Your presence, your investigative work product, um, it's a blessing to our audience, yours and Steve's. So thank you. Hey, Doug, one of the things I think is critical for people to understand, too, is that what we're seeing right now throughout the mainstream news media, what we're seeing on the alien disclosure, as a matter of fact, Tom, it was pretty interesting because, you know, Cliff Mahuti, who basically rattled everyone's cages, and God bless you, Cliff, I mean, seriously, uh, he, he has an alien bolo tie, and you'll yeah. see that. And what was, what was interesting after, now listen, after we were pulling out of... Uh, Oh, where Mesa Verde and having to go uh, some other places and film, one of the Native American elders came up and said, oh, by the way, I was abducted. And I looked at him and I said, by aliens? He said, yes. The You cannot separate the Native American legends from the sky people. And 
when you hear that we're going to be seeing at the mouth of Jesus, that we're going to be seeing uh, things that men's hearts will fail them, but you're also going to see the scripture, the epistle saying that, you know, we're going to be bewildered with lying signs and wonders. All of Hollywood, in my opinion, now listen, I know we got guys listening to the show that are directors, people who have worked in Hollywood, with few exceptions, maybe 5%, everybody in Hollywood is compromised and they worship literally the God of forces just like the book of Daniel declares and they worship the author of forces so right now while Tom and I are on all these different uh, if you will parallel research highways God is opening up and I mean this God is opening up to us favor with different people we want to thank each and every one of you that buys our books and buys our DVDs. The DVD, you know, um, is going to be astonishing. Now, just for the record, these things are, are having an effect around the world. And they're having an effect because people are saying, I now get it. They used to say, I used to think God was cruel because he told the children of Israel to go, on, go in and wipe out every man, woman, and child until they found out those weren't normal people. Those were hybrids. That's why God told the children of Israel, don't marry. Don't marry the people in the lands around you because they were already genetically polluted. And what is the biggest field right now? Now I'm getting a little bit off, but here's the deal. If I told you there were studies done on genetics of the Apache and of different uh, people that were uh, basically claiming that the men in long ships came and built the great monuments in the Valley of the Gods, that this was even before the time of the Pueblo Indians talking about the times, what, what in Australia they call dream time, and what I call the time before Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. Something caused a cataclysmic judgment on the earth. And cataclysm is the order of the day. Every time you look at uh, anybody who's reporting on all the anomalies, whether it's the strange sounds, the strange weather, uh, things that have never been seen before, you cannot get away from the fact that the times they are changing. And what we're watching now and what we're seeing, sometimes when we were in the desert southwest, our mouths would drop open. Now let me fast forward. Forward. Tim Alberino and the film crew, when they were in our Sardinia, interviewed a half a dozen eyewitnesses. Some of these guys are in their 80s and 90s. And by the way, you know they were they were speaking in Sardinian, which is a little bit different than Italian. So we had to hire translators. But it's clear, and you can understand it. And and what people have got to recognize is this: is there's a whole generation of Sardinians that claim to be descended from the giants. Now in the giant tombs, here's what most people don't understand. It's the same thing the Native Americans have been doing for centuries. It's not the tombs that the giants are in. The tombs are underground. The people would lay on top the surface and basically or go into the Naragi Towers to get and to channel the energy of the giants. And as most of you have heard me on Coast to Coast and on, on Doug Hagman and all the different shows, 
the giants, even their bones, possess an energy because they're supernatural. Their fathers were angels, their mothers were earth women, and people would say this, well, how can giants have sex with a normal-sized earth woman? It wasn't the giants. It was the fallen angels who can even take on whatever form or shape is necessary. And as Thomas said, genetically, they didn't just corrupt the angels. They corrupted everything that God saw was good in the book of Genesis forward. What are we seeing now? We're seeing, again, the bones of human and animal chimeras. I just read you that from a gentleman. By the way, that was dated, I think, two weeks ago. I read you the story of that. Now, I want to, hey, Tom, here's something that's mind-blowing. And I want to thank, and I'll just call P, because I don't want to use his name, and uh, I'll just use it. Listen to this, okay? I think if you had to say something that God has just revealed, and this brother, I want to thank you personally for sharing that, is the fact that, and, and you'll, you'll love this, Eusebius, some people pronounce him Eusebius, but I just call him Eusebius. I was reading Preparatel Evangelica by Eusebius and came across a section that said that the giant Kronos, possibly Og, was held in stasis on an island near Britain. It also talks about the giant storms that appear when a giant is dug or megalithic site found. Now, this is from Book 5, Chapter 17. So then Philip had witnessed to his story and some of those who were present and had heard it from an aged Emilian. But Demetrius said that there were many desert islands scattered among those on the coast of Britain, some of which were named after demons and heroes, and that he himself, being sent by the emperor to make an investigation survey, excuse me, sailed to the nearest of the desert islands, which had but few inhabitants, and these are all sacred persons, uh, inviolable to the Britons. Very soon after his arrival, there arose a great commotion there, and many portents in the sky, and violent blasts of wind, and falling of thunderbolts, and when this abated, the islanders said that one of the higher powers had been extinguished for as a lamp. They said, well, light and listen to this, while lighted does no harm, but being extinguished is hurtful to many. So great souls are benignant and are benignant uh, and harmless in their shining. They're, now listen to this. However, one island, which is called Kronos, I'm sorry, there was, however, one island there in which Kronos was confined in garden in his sleep, Barbarius, for his sleep had been artfully contrived to keep him bound, and there were many demons about him as attendants and servants. According to Talos, a first century Greek historian, Og is none other than Kronos. Both Og and Kronos were known as the leader of the Titans. So according to this, Og of Bashan is still alive in stasis somewhere near Britain if he has not uh, been moved. The city of London, the financial center of the world, celebrates two giants, uh, uh, Gog and Magog. Once a year they bring them out. They have giant, if you will, puppets, marionettes with no strings attached. I don't know any other way to describe them. Look up uh, city of London, Gog and Magog. So what's fascinating, Tom, is right now that stasis word is the same word that multiple generals and special operations have used, that Dr. Ernst Muldeshev has used when he was taken to the caves of Tibet and shown a sleeping giant. The commonality of this, now we're talking Eusebius, we're talking a long time ago. The word stasis is absolutely now a 
a I would say this a foundational principle of understanding how these giants are in a slumber, and when they awake, they will have no knowledge of the time that has uh, been taken from them. Their natures will be the same. And as you've quoted before, uh, go ahead and quote uh, what Isaiah thirteen. <clears throat> yeah, Isaiah 13, uh, open the gates, ye ruler, I give command, and I bring them. Giants are coming to fulfill my wrath. So, given this information, by the way, until P gave this to me, again, thank you, brother, I did not know this. You know, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, we do the best we can. We do it with the budgets we have, with the people we have, and by the grace of God, he always makes up the difference. I've talked to different people about underwriting, you know, uh, some of these projects. I don't think people get it, Tom, and look, here's what I'm saying. We're on to the biggest news in history. I told one gentleman, I said, look, you're not going to just be, quote, famous, but you're going to be used by God to, to basically uh, bring the biggest news to the planet, which will point people to Jesus Christ. Look, Tom, you have been a pastor in the Assembly of God. I grew up in the Assembly of God. I thank God for, you know, the stuff that was good and the teaching and the full gospel and stuff, but also you got let out of there. I got let out of there. And what's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, and this is just a word of encouragement to everybody, you don't need to copy someone else's ministry. You can seek the Lord, and he'll plug you in. And if the, the 139th Psalm says that more numerous in the sand, than the sand of the sea, so are God's thoughts towards you, then, you know, people who are praying that want to get involved, I'm sure, Tom, you want people, or people email you, or, you know, the ones you see, wanting to come alongside. Well, here's the deal. You've got to be called to this. And I know people, and I'm just saying this for, for the sake of those who really want to get involved in this, become an expert in the field that you are the most interested in, and then ask God to get, grant you favor with those who can utilize your expertise. Because uh, I'll, I'll show this, and then I'll turn it over to you. How long do and we Steve, have, Doug? We're, yeah. we're right up against the break right now. so this will Okay, be a, a, well, let's wait until after we get back. Excellent. Folks, you're listening to Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com and Tom Horn. A uh, fantastic show so far. They're going to be with us until the end of the program, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Steve and Tom after these short messages. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. 
Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport because it's so efficient it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire so don't rely on gas or fuel stoves prepare your family prepare for yourself order a minuteman rocket stove today it's going to make bad times much better folks minutemanstove.com minutemanstove.com need i say more you should have a minute, man, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, just a quick update before we get back to Steve and Tom uh, on Greenovative. Don't forget, folks, Greenovative uh, has a, a fantastic deal for Hagman and Hagman listeners. Their new GMAG Complete Pack and Complete with the Barter Pack are a big hit with our audience, and they're running a 15% store-wide discount from now until the 1st of May at midnight. To get the discount, Enter the code HAGMAN for 15% off. You will be glad you did. That's greenovative.com. Turning it back over, we have Tom Horn and Steve Quayle. Steve, just before the break, you were um, uh, getting into to making a point. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you continue. Well, what what I'm I'm trying to get uh, people to see by the grace of God, and only He can open eyes and stuff, is that we are in a time where things are going to be released. Now, Tom, I, I'm sending you something. Are you on your computer? I'm going to read it for everyone. But are you on your computer? I'm not. Okay. Let me give you something that will blow your mind. This is from a friend of mine who uh, was a FEMA, uh, I guess you call it, commander. She's one of the most brilliant women with no flattery I've ever met. She's one of the best connected women I've ever met. And she basically knows what's going on. Now, I'm going to read this. I just got this. It came in at uh, 5.58, okay? Opened up my email. It's germane to what I'm going to say next. 
I received an email today that has some links you may be interested in. This is also an alert of sorts. The Smithsonian has teamed up with FEMA under the guise of preservation of family and cultural treasures and photos lost to natural disasters as an effort to secure these treasures and give people hope. I'll, I'll just give you my quick interpretation of that to make sure nothing we don't want gets out. The predators are gathering and circling over the American prey in preparation for a natural disaster event that, and excuse me, as has happened in other countries. Other agencies and NGOs are also participating. To put up a bear fence here requires an archaeologist to evaluate the property for artifacts. I hope, Doug, as an investigator, I'm sending this to you and Tom, okay, and I'm going to post this with all the links, but what's what's astonishing to me is then she says, and I think obviously this is, she says, of course, you can apply it to giants. Tom Horn and I on this date, what is it, April 27th, 2017, are on the Hagman and Hagman show talking about the great Smithsonian cover-up. We're getting an email, I'm getting it, which I'm going to share with Tom, and just for verification, validation, Doug, that's talking about a new teaming up of the Smithsonian with FEMA under the guise of preservation of family and cultural treasures and photos lost to natural disasters, an effort to secure these treasures and give people hope. What's your first response to that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, this is the doctrine of John Wesley Powell all over again. I mean, all all the way through the 1800s, these exploration teams that were commissioned by the Smithsonian went into the Grand Canyons. Mahuti told us that while he was serving as the representative of the U.S. government for tribal affairs, that the U.S. government sent a team up above the Grand Canyon. Remember, in fact, I, maybe I shouldn't give this away. It might be in your documentary film. No, no, you uh, can give it away. I well, want probably, well, well, to understand. He, he, he gives the facts and data on how they went up above the Grand Canyon, dug this gigantic shaft going down through the side of the Grand Canyon to the bottom, down below the bottom, where uh, behind this waterfall there was this stargate. And he, gave, he gives vivid detail about exactly what happened. Uh, but this was all covered up by the U.S. government. They talked about up there drilling for some kind of a horror experiment or some other thing, and he said it was absolutely baloney. What they were doing is they were trying to figure out what was going on with what the Native Americans down inside that canyon were using as a doorway, as a portal. Well, Wesley Powell, I mean, it's, it's, today it's called the Powell Doctrine, but it, it, the whole point about him was uh, he was exceptionally bent toward rationalizing away any evidence that would challenge the evolutionary theory, which the bones of giants absolutely did. And so even some of the uh, American Indian academics have written, and these are guys with PhDs too, who publish books that are, that, uh, and that teach uh, on, the re- you know, on the reservation schools uh, that have said that there is no doubt whatsoever that there really honestly is a large Indiana Jones-like building into which the great Smithsonian spirited away the bones of extraordinary humans, and some of these were up to 20, 30 feet tall, according to the tribal uh, leaders that we uh, talked to. But I'm currently running a series right now uh, on uh, skywatchtv.com in which I'm talking about uh, the doctrine of Wesley Powell, and what you're basically what you're saying right now, Steve, sounds like a continuation of this same idea. You have to control 
the flow of information if you're a naturalist, if you're a Darwinian, if you don't want anything to challenge. Or in some cases, it's not really that you're all that concerned about something challenging uh, Darwinian evolution as much as you don't want people to see evidence that the story of the Bible, that the Old Testament is a true narrative of events that historically actually happened. That's really what they're more afraid of, is that people will understand that the Bible is true, and therefore the story of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ and all of those experiences are real, and they don't want people to be faced with this need to make a decision towards God and Christ. And I think that what's critical is right now, you know, I remember starting on talk radio 25, 27 years ago, whatever it was, and there are people that know the exact date, quite candidly, you know, I guess it's important, a quarter of a century, let's say. But I can tell you this, that God has been so faithful, Tom, and I want to put everybody in remembrance. One guy said, why do you always brag about what you knew about in advance? I don't brag about it, I give God the glory, because I say, and I want everyone to hear this from me, a man has nothing except he receive it from above. And that's when the Lord spoke to me, and those of you who were with me in KHNC, Johnstown, Colorado, Randy and a bunch of you will probably remember this, I said, I said that the Lord has spoken to my heart, that when cannibalism fills the headlines of the major news media, that the Great Tribulation has started. Now, people argue with that. They say, we're not in the Tribulation, you know, blah, blah, blah. I won't argue that. But I could not have known that when I said it. And now, why this is critical is the appetite of demons expressed through humans, and the demons are a disembodied, uh, if you will, the evil spirits that proceed out of the giants. I want to read Numbers 13, 31 through 33. If those people that say, and I call them crybaby whiners, okay, this isn't important, it's really important. You can't fight the war that is against you if you do not do not understand the nature of your enemy, his tactics, and how to defeat him. Now, Numbers 13, 31, 33, King James. But the men that went up with him, going up with uh, Joshua and Caleb, said, We be not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. That word, uh, you know, eateth up, I mean, people say, well, that's just, a, that's just a metaphor for, you know, people that were too weak militarily. Uh-uh. You go look it up, and devour means to eat, literally, to cannibalize, to ingest, digest. And so what, what I think is astonishing tonight, and boy, I, I just see this as God's fingerprint. Again, thank you, Celeste, is the fact that somebody's incredibly worried about all the natural disasters happening and under the guise of quote protecting the Native Americans let me tell you something that we were told by them only 6% of Native American uh, lands especially sacred places will they allow them to go to 6% so the question is what's the other 94% you know Tom and I both have a uh, we refer to it the Native American sacred sites in the Department of Defense you can go search for that online Native American sacred sites and the Department of Defense. 
What Tim Alberino found in Sardinia, in Malta, we found it in Rome, we found it in Cusco, we found it in Bolivia, at Tiwanaku. We find it every place we go. It's not what you see on top of the ground that's critical. It's what's underneath. Same thing with the Giza Plateau. Some of those famous hydrologists and geologists have stated that the Great Pyramid of Giza and the Sphinx have had multiple floods. Well, I got news for you. You know, you can say, well, it was just a single flood. The evidence would, uh, what would you say, argue against that. So what what is, I think, so critical is to try, and, and Tom, am I getting this across? Because if you can say it better, please do. The complete control that the powers that be, the shadow government, the darkness, the, uh, if you will, the illuminous, the, the global Satanists, they don't want the truth out. Because as long as they can divorce the false paradigm that they're going to present to the world, then people will not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, I'll make it easy for you. We're not doing this just to present cool stuff, which it truly is. We're doing this at the command and direction of the living God to warn you and to let you know what's coming. For the scripture says, surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Daniel talked about it. Sir Isaac Newton talked about that in the end time a group of men would be raised up amongst much what, clamor and criticism that God would be revealing his secrets to. So go to this, Native American Sacred Sites in the Department of Defense. You'll find out. Now, I found out last week. I, maybe I'll just share this, and I won't go into great detail. I'll turn it right back to you. I went to a couple places, uh, you know, from everywhere, from Chaco Canyon in the air, uh, all the way to the Grand Canyon. I went through some of the most strange landscape that, quite candidly, Tom, I never knew existed. I was basically following my hunch. Now, I don't know if people know this. This is very cool. But in a helicopter, you can get what's called a five-gimbal, uh, a five-axis gimbal that you can put some of the sharpest camera lenses and cameras, m movie cameras, in it, and you can remain totally stable at 120 knots. It's about 135 miles an hour. We traveled 1,000 miles in nine and a half hours. The only thing we did was stop to uh, take a uh, potty break and uh, fill up uh, with gas. We had to, uh, for those of you helicopter pilots, we were, could only run about 65% fuel because of the weight of the camera. It was so telling and compelling. If I told you, Tom, and I think I, I already gave you, I won't give it away yet until uh, people in Branson are going to have the mind-blowingest experience right. of seeing some of this stuff. And, and I want to share something, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't a bait or a hook, but what we're going to do, because we've got some of the state-of-the-art, and I, I can guarantee you this, if there's, you know, however many people will show up, at least probably 5% will be intelligence agencies from all over the world. Mm. And, you know, and so this is critical stuff. And, and again, when you enable Doug Hagman, and I want to make this clear, Tom, you weren't asked, I wasn't asked, but those of you around the world, would you please just even think of sending five bucks because, you know, Doug and, and Joe and the team there, John and everybody that's associated with it, you know, there are people out there with big bucks. And I know there are times, and I, I you know, I'm sensitive because when I, I, I've watched it happen, 
that, you know, you don't realize what puts it on. And I want to ask you, everyone who's listening to this program tonight, if you were not able to have Hagman and Hagman and Tom Horn, myself, and all the great guests they have on, where would you go to get the information? Where would you go? And, and unfortunately, Tom, we know this to be human nature. People always will say in retrospect, I wish I would have helped him. I should have helped him. I could have helped him. And for those of you that have helped us, Cam and Jan and others, Gary H., you know, Gary Haven, uh, David, all of you that have helped us, every single person that's given 100 bucks, and I'm not begging for money, I'm just telling you this, is that we have the odds stacked against us. When Tim and the team were in Sardinia, the papal helicopter, was in the air. The little guys in their cars, the spies on their phones, were, were you know, we kept them busy. But what, what's associative, what, excuse me, what's associated with all this stuff is the fact that, ladies and gentlemen, I, a, one of the richest, wealthiest directors in Hollywood, James Cameron of Titanic fame, uh, uh, the, uh, Good Night, Avatar, all the different stuff he's done, uh, Terminator, uh, you know, movies that are our blockbusters, he's spending huge dollars to find Atlantis. Guess what? They even went to Sardinia, but they didn't see what was in front of them. Now, now fast forward. How is it that the navigators in Sardinia, who claim to be the descendants of giants, that their structures show up in America? Their towers show up in America. Right. The same religious practices. So, boy, I'm telling you what. I'm like, I'm like, you know, ready to launch on this. This is the most tremendous, uh, uh, what would you say, Tom? Mind-opening. God has his hand on it, and I'm excited that, you know, we get to be part of it. But not only that, that you all get to be included in it. Everybody's got questions. Look, we don't have all the answers, but we're not sitting out there copying people on YouTube or, you know, doing that. We're out doing the original stuff. So please, ladies and gentlemen, continue to pray for us. And if any of you are able to help us in a big way, you know, look, I, I, I know a lot of people, and so does Tom, and we, we, we know a lot of people all over the world, but if I could tell you that you can have what you've been looking for in answers, 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 I think it would be provocative, and that's the same reason why Tom brought up Doug Hagman and I bring him up, because listen, ladies and gentlemen, if, if Doug and I told you what's going on behind the scenes against us, you wouldn't believe it, and we won't even give uh, time to that. Number one, we can't, because we're told we can't, but the point that I think is critical is that there is no place on planet earth in my opinion that god has chosen at this time to present this information doug's not perfect i'm not perfect and tom is probably one of the most uh articulate men i wish i could be as coherent as you tom you know i think everybody wishes that but i want i, I, I am i communicating with the people at how important this is yeah, absolutely, and I would like to ask a very uh, practical question. If somebody wanted to make a donation to Hagman & Hagman, how do they do that? Is there a PayPal button? Is there something at, uh, on one of the websites, Doug? Yes, there is, um, and and thank you, Tom and, and Steve, uh, for being so generous and uh, urging people to do this. It's uh, so much appreciated, but there is a PayPal button um, on HagmanReport.com or HagmanAndHagman.com, and then we have our... Um, 
our P.O. box, our mailing address there as well. And, and you know, thank you both, because I, I have to say this. It does take money. We pay salaries here. We're supporting five families, and uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, and, and I know, I know. Um, you know, that people get accustomed to listening to the program. They don't ever really stop and think about what it takes. And, and I also, uh, you know, because I own a company, and, and in the past we used to do advertising, and you, you make very, very little money actually comes in as a result of advertising other people's products. But you guys have worked hard. You've done it with very little. So I'm hoping that, and you know what, uh, even what Steve said a moment ago, if somebody's listening to this program and, they, and they're thinking, well, you know, I don't have a whole lot of money. I probably couldn't give more than $10. But if enough people did that, it would matter, and some people can give more. So I really uh, hope that people will respond to that. Go to your website, find the PayPal button, or uh, if they can send a check to your uh, mailing address. And, folks, you need to know that the Hagmans never ask us anything about this. It totally is just me and Steve uh, bringing this up because we appreciate so much what they've done to help us get the word out on, on our research. And, and any time, every time, we've had a breakthrough moment. The Hagmans have been, you know, forefront and center, and they're brave. They're willing to let us talk about stuff that other people run away scared from. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with their tails between their legs going meow. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, I want to, uh, Steve, let me jump back for just a second. You mentioned sure, that take Department all the time of, you want, Tom. Finish your well, thoughts. You, you mentioned that Department of Defense uh, article. You actually quote that in the first half of the book. And people should know this book is broken into two parts. The whole first half is written by you. The second half is written by me. But you quote that Department of Defense. You give the link back to the Department of Defense where the article can be found. And, and I read part of that and was absolutely blown away because they are actually studying from a scientific point of view ancient Stargate technology that is connected to the American Indian tribes and how that technology is used to open doorways into parallel realities. I, it was unbelievable. I had to verify it for myself. I thought, really? This can't possibly be real. But it is. And uh, we even had Allie Anderson, one of my research analysts. She got a hold of the uh, Department of Defense and the people that authored that um, article and got permission for you to quote a lengthy portion of that and then to put the uh, references uh, in the books. So I wanted to point that out, that you had briefly mentioned it, but people may not realize that this DOD report actually talks about American Indian artifacts, including Stargate technology and the way it is used to make contact with other uh, realities. Um, th now, the other thing you were talking about a moment ago that I want to get on is um, uh, uh, ritual cannibalism and the role that plays, because at first, when you think about ritual cannibalism, you don't really understand the depth to the extent to what this, how this was important to the ancient societies starting all the way back with the Watchers, but including the American Indian tribes and the Mesoamerican tribes, and what it was used for. Um, so um, when we were in the Four Corners, here about whatever it was, five, six months ago, and we had that great big round table one week long, basically you rented out the whole hotel, and we had it at our beck and call for the most part, uh, and we sat with those tribal elders. Um, they pointed out to us, um, the uh, mountain range where the giant bones are uh, and we're going back there when we get permission to get back on the res 
Um, they agreed unanimously that these, bo- these bones are going to be reanimated at a soon specific time. I think this stuff is covered in the documentary film, is partly covered in the book. But they also uh, begin describing something that until then I was really unfamiliar with. You may have known about it, Steve. I didn't. Serious association with uh, cannibalism, the Raphaim, and even Og, who you were talking about a moment ago, of Bashan. First, there's always been this question about how do the giants that are destroyed in the flood, uh, and um, now they're in the underworld realm of the dead, the Raphaim, the spirits of the dead giants. How can they be revived? How do they return? If, if the Native Americans today are talking about these bones being reanimated, the giants returning, uh, but also how do the giants return after the flood that's talked about in the Bible? How did they reappear on earth again, which they did? And there's several fascinating theories involving that question, some of which we've discussed before, others we could discuss later tonight if we have time. Uh, but it was during this two-year, really altogether cloud-eater investigation and and more recently towards the end of 2016 that we unearthed this critical ancient belief involving cannibalism and what uh, was believed in the Middle East at the dawn of time including what was believed by the Maya what was believed by Aztec and apparently the Anasazi uh, and this bizarre um, idea that through cannibalism, their DNA would be modified. Basically, their genetic makeup would be reconstructed through ritual cannibalism. Not cannibalism because you're starving to death and therefore, you know, you're stuck up on the top of a mountain in an ice storm and somebody eats, you know, part of the leg of a human or not. No, not that. Ritual cannibalism um, was used intentionally to modify their genetic makeup to do what what we would call out of the Hebrew Bible to to you know cause them to become a fit extension for incarnation by the spirits of dead giants um, uh, and so on. So now this requires a little bit of unpacking. So I won't take very long. But give me a couple of minutes, and I'll try to keep it simple and shorter than all the research that we include in the new Cloud Eaters book and the companion documentary film. But So where did this idea begin with? That through ritual cannibalism, a body's genetic makeup could be modified to become a fit extension for incarnation by fallen angels. Where did that begin with? Well, it began with the Watchers. It began literally at the dawn of time. The idea that uh, Raphaim could be resurrected into a body. Uh, now, why do I say that? First of all, note how in the Bible, according to Second uh, Peter 2.4, Jude 1.6, and the apocryphal book of Enoch, which the Bible writers are quoting from, that the watchers were interested in leaving their fixed habitation in heaven and of becoming incarnate on earth. And they saw human genetic material as the methodology for this advent, um, the creation of a hybrid body made of human. And earlier you said um, that this uh, DNA that was, that was discovered had human and animal DNA in it. Well, that also, according to some of the extra-biblical texts, like the book of Jasher, uh, it discusses how they used 
both animals and humans. Of course, the book of Enoch says they also sinned against the animals, and the Old Testament also implies that. So there was also something going on there with animal genetic material. But in any case, they saw this blend of human, animal, angelic material as something that they could extend themselves uh, into. Um, and if if we have time later and people want, I you know, I can get more into the details of how that ancient science technology actually worked, but the point is it's indisputable, according to these ancient texts and scriptures, that entering our dimensional reality and exiting their heavenly estate is what the watchers wanted to do, and the result of that event was the birth of the giant clans, what some people commonly call the Nephilim, the Gibberim, the Anunnaki, and so on, that went on to become the scourge of the earth. Now, secondly, okay, so that event happened. Secondly, immediately after, the giants, the mutations are born from that unholy uh, wedlock. These giants are filled with the vile appetite of the fallen watcher's seed. Uh, you can read the ancient text, uh, the Book of Watchers. Uh, you can read the Animal Apocalypse. You can read the Book of Jubilees. You can read the Book of Giants from the uh, Qumran text. You can read Enoch, starting at chapter 7 and forward. All of them start describing this insatiable appetite of these giants, these offspring of the Watchers. And furthermore, they describe it as being key to understanding their crimes, which included murder, cannibalism, and the consumption of blood. By the way, there's an academic paper on this that is first class. It's titled... Uh, monstrous appetite, giants, cannibalism, and insatiable eating in Enochic literature. It was written by Professor Matthew Goff of Florida State University, and I can email that to anybody that might really want to take time to learn more about that. But um, what we learn through a careful reading of these ancient texts reveals that the appetites of the giants, now get this, the appetite of the dead giants, the Raphaim, in their underworld state, where they're down there now, and they can no longer eat persons, which in Enoch 7, I mean, their, their appetite is crazy. They eat everything. Animals, humans, they eventually even start eating each other. It's insatiable, right? Part of the judgment against them, though, is that now, in the underworld, they can no longer eat persons, and it drives them insane. Uh, and this, this is actually part of their judgment because they can no longer be satisfied. And it's that torture, uh, the, the desire of these spirits, that is manifest when they affect the minds of humans that will allow them to be influenced. When they possess, you know, the, the, this idea that the dead Nephilim, some of them became the demons that are on the world today, right? But they're also connected with the Raphaim in the underworld. They're all part of the same consort, but 10% of them, according to all these ancient texts, were allowed to remain on the earth, and according to some people's theology, these are the demons that infest the earth uh, today. And so they tempt individuals. They affect the minds of individuals, and they compel those individuals if possible, towards cannibalism. Why? In two reasons. In order that the demon spirit can satisfy their overwhelming original hunger to consume humans 
uh, and now through the individuals that they possess. And Steve, you're correct when you said that all of a sudden cannibalism is a big thing. Oh my gosh, there are so many movies, there's so many things that are coming out right now on human cannibalism, articles that are being written about it, and they're being written in a way as if they're studying this in an appreciable way. I mean, almost as if there's some good that could be evaluated from human uh, cannibalism. There was that journalist, I forget what his name was, but people can Google this and read about it, this journalist for one of the major news media outlets that recently went to another country and, and consumed part of a human brain or something with the cannibals that were there, and, and they're legitimizing all of this in mainstream journalism. I mean, it's sick, right? Um, but anyway, so I don't get off the, the track here, that what the spiritual forces are doing, they're satisfying their own demonic hunger through individuals that practice cannibalism. But secondly, the person participating willingly in that process is thought by ancient standards to become genetically modified. That's to say, uh, when in the beginning of their uh, practicing cannibalism, and their conscience is telling them that this is an ultimate rejection of Yahweh, this is a sin against his creation, but they keep doing it anyway, day by day, they become less and less the imager of God, as Sharon Gilbert likes to say it. We were created in God's image to reflect his image, the imagers of God. They become less and less of that, and instead they become the imagers of the fallen ones. And during that time, the ancient belief was that the, the DNA of the host participant, the human, is slowly being rewritten, changed, modified into something other than what God created, which allows either the modern individual today or the ancient original mutant humans in the days of Noah to become a fit extension for incarnation by Raphaim. Now, here's the important question. Is that just a silly myth? Um, an ancient belief that doesn't have any basis in scientific reality? Well, we now know, by the way, we now know what what these ancient writers couldn't possibly have known because they didn't have, as far as we know, uh, you know, the, the capacity to be able to study DNA like we do today. We now know, though, that that idea is a scientific fact, that germline genetic modification occurs through cannibalism. And there's a famous example of this that emerged in just recent years. It could be Googled. Uh, there's articles just published last year and this year that can be read by anybody involving the Foray people of Papua New Guinea who, through cannibalizing the brains of their dead, developed an anti-Kuru. Kuru is a um, neurodegenerative disorder. But they developed an anti-Kuru gene that actually strengthened their genetic makeup and protects them against that disease, and it became germline and is passed on to all succeeding generations. And this is only one article. There's several others that provide examples. Uh, and by the way, if people want to Google that article and read it, I have it in front of me. It's called Gene Change in Cannibals Reveals uh, Evolution in Action. Um, but, it, but it verifies that this ancient idea is something that actually really does occur. Through cannibalism, the genetic makeup of the human is slowly rewritten until over time the person becomes something else. Now, in, in, in Indian lore, some of the information they learned from the giant um, 
dragon-worshipping interlopers, maybe we'll get into that later, that came down through Mesoamerica, Baja, these other giants came down, wiped out the Anasazi, some of the earlier American Indian tribes. But, but don't forget that some of their stories around this involve what they call the Wendigo, uh, which means the evil spirit that devours mankind. Uh, this is the name that's associated with the word cannibal, actually. Uh, a lot of it is uh, talked about up or close to uh, Canada, but there are legends uh, in the Navajo region here, uh, the American Midwest, uh, where according to their ancient stories, these were evil creatures. Sometimes they were giants, sometimes as much as 15 feet in height. Uh, but at one time, they were human beings. This is the point about this. And, and what they say is that once a person turns to cannibalism, even under emergency or starvation circumstances, if they continue cannibalism, they become changed forever, not just in their mind, not just in their heart, not just because they've rejected God, but their genetic makeup literally begins to become uh, modified. Um, uh, the evil spirit takes hold of them, and they're permanently transformed into this evil being. Um, so I would encourage people, you know, maybe Google the Wendigo, uh, look at how flesh, blood, uh, it's, it's all a part of the elements that can transform humanity, a person, an individual, into a fit extension for incarnation by underworld uh, entities. So um, I'm, I kind of got off track there a little bit, so let me get back on track. There's another connection to the mysticism of cannibalism and its connection to why the Watcher offspring participated in it um, that's connected to human blood in academic circles um, as a life force from God. Um, I've read several scholars when they're talking about, you know, why were the offspring of the Watchers so cannibalistic and eaters of human flesh and, and, and drinkers of blood? Why, why were they doing that? And some of these scholars point out how in the Bible eating blood is condemned in the Old Testament, and that among other things, that might be because it's associated with the moment when God breathed life into mankind, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. In other words, that there could be something in human blood dating back to God, connected to God, that the Watchers and the Nephilim wanted to consume to either somehow, what, steal divinity or to profane God or both, but there probably is something to this idea that the reason that God condemned the eating of blood is because it originated with the Watchers, was practiced by the Nephilim, and had something to do with profaning the human body in order to modify the genetic makeup of mankind into something other than what God had created. But in either case, following the descent of the Watchers and the proliferation... Am I going on too much here? No, no, no. Keep no. going. And because, again, when you need a break, um, I, I, I'm just telling you, I'm going to prove to people that this is this is even of wet. I'm sorry, it's of web bot uh, concern. And I would tell everyone, everyone should get Cliff High's Half Past Human uh, dot com, the web bot report for May. But go ahead, Tom, because just finish your thought, because I'm going to take off right from what you say. Okay, so I'll try to make it fast. But here's the point: that literally from the dawn of time, 
this idea proliferated across the world. Here in the, it, 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 it came here to the Americas. It was among the Aztec. It was among the Maya. But it was all throughout the Middle East. It was all a part of all of the Mesopotamian, the ancient um, ideas around the world. This cult ritual idea that by eating alive or by drinking the blood of uh, a person and sometimes an animal that you would somehow capture the essence or the soul of that victim. It's called homophagia uh, in some academic circles. Uh, you can read about the earliest Norwegian huntsmen who believed in this idea. They would drink the blood of bears to capture this, their strength. East African Maasai warriors practicing that. They sought to gain the strength of the wild by drinking the blood of lions. Human victims, though, were the preferred victims in many cultures, especially uh, here closer to home, Mesoamerica, the Maya, the Aztec, later the Anasazi, which we document in our book, uh, and our tribal confidants uh, at, our con- uh, at our private meeting with them said the same thing. Now, uh, you know, the last program we were on, we were talking about the Podesta emails, uh, spirit cooking. So you can also see this practice continues today in cults, Satanists, um, even secret societies. Uh, that and it, it illustrates that not only is it ancient, but it's modern. There's an ongoing effort on the part of Satan to convince as many as he can. And now, all of a sudden, Steve, your prophecy is coming to pass that cannibalism would be a part of the end times. Who would have ever thought this? I mean, 25 years ago when I was a pastor, I would have laughed in your face. I would have said, what? No, no way, right? All of a sudden, it's a cultural meme. It's a phenomenon. Uh, it's having a shocking revival. Uh, and you can see how not only the ancient idea of becoming a fit extension, but it's also um, an, it's a demonization of the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, from the goal of Holy Communion in our different you know, Christian-based churches, transubstantiation in the Catholic Eucharist, or consubstantiation in the Lutheran Communion, or a symbolic ordinance in the Protestant evangelical circles. All of these have a common goal of elevating the worshiper of Christ into sacramental communion with God. But the goal of the ritual of cannibalism, ancient and modern, is just the opposite. The tearing apart, the eating alive of the one cannibalized. whole idea is to capture the essence of the Raphaim and to bring it into this incarnated rage with man. So let me bring up one other important point, Stephen. I'll turn it back over to you about this ancient belief, because this is something you brought up earlier. It might be connected to the point you're going to make. But the relationship between ritual cannibalism as a technology, as a methodology for incarnation by spirits of dead giants, uh, this is connected to the Raphaim, who were the giant occupants of Canaan, but also Og, the king of Bashan, whose bed was 18 feet long, and the Watcher sins. All of this is connected. Uh, Og and the Raphaim were associated by the ancients with the shades of the dead. Uh, including the dead Nephilim and Sheol Hades, uh, and the potential for their resurrection. So I'll just give this to you very quickly. Uh, Og was the king of the Amorites, who uh, ruled in the region of Bashan, where the gates of hell were believed to be. His bed's nine and a half, almost nine and a half cubits. But it's exactly down to the millimeter 
the exact same size of a cultic bed that was discovered in the ziggurat at uh, at Amanaki, which most archaeologists identify with the, with the real Tower of Babel. And the large bed there was found in what was, and I can't say it in the Ugaritic language, but it, what it means is the house of the bed. And this was where the god Marduk and his wife Zarpanatu would meet annually, guess for what reason? For ritual, procreation, uh, the whole idea of raising up from out of the underworld into incarnation, these ancient uh, underworld entities, and also blessings upon the land, so it was a fertility type, right? But I and others are very suspicious that this actually played a role in deity incarnation, not just as a parody, but an effort to raise dead Nephilim to whom Og was uh, related. And then lastly, on the meaning of the word Raphaim, this is really germane because it carries with the, the word Raphaim carries with it uh, the idea to heal or to be healed as in a resurrection from the place of the dead. And in the ancient uh, Ugaritic Rashamra text, the Raphaim are described as these demigods that worship the Amorite god Baal, the, the ruler of the underworld. And when the Raphaim died, their spirits went into the underworld where they joined Baal's acolyte assembly of lesser gods and kings and heroes and rulers. This is important. I'll tell you why in a moment. These beings had the power in Amorite theology to return from the dead through reincarnation into bodily form as Nephilim. And in fact, the Raphaim giants are specifically noted by Moses in the Old Testament as being the return of the antediluvian Nephilim, that the Raphaim were in fact the reincarnations of the demonic spirits of the Nephilim giants that had been destroyed in the flood. Now, it might be a surprise to many Bible students to learn that the prophet Isaiah seems to have considered this Amorite dogma factual. In other words, it was actually a true revelation from God that they stole and made part of their mythology. Uh, but he ties the power of these beings to the king of Babylon and Lucifer himself. So after prophesying against uh, the leader of Babylon, here's what Isaiah says in parallel to Raphaim theology in Isaiah 14, 9 through 10. He says, Hell, that is Sheol Hades, from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead. This is the Rapha, Raphaim, uh, for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones. This is in the underworld. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? End quote. And then immediately following that statement, Isaiah looks beyond the Raphaim at who their Baal actually is, and he identifies him in verse 12, saying, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And so you, you can find throughout the Bible, Job 26.5, dead things that you quoted earlier, dead things are formed from under the waters, this idea that underneath the surface of the earth, that the earth is dynamic and squirming beneath the surface of the earth are giants that went down into hell, according to the Old Testament, in full battle dress, awaiting the moment of their reanimation, the moment of their uh, resurrection. So go, Steve. Well, I think to and release, because the Native Americans told us that there was something holding it back, like uh, my friend the pilot that flew the giant out of uh, Bagram Air Force Base, and 
L.A. Marzulli and I did a show together that I think is is so uh, much of a watershed event. And for the record, everyone, L.A. put me in contact with one of the guys that was the shooter. And they were told specifically in their training to aim high to shoot with a grenade launcher, a 40-millimeter uh, grenade at the head, in essence, to take the head of the Giants off. And they didn't understand why they were being told that until the uh, reports came back of what had to happen, because David cut off Goliath's head for a reason. It wasn't just to show his triumph, which God did give him the triumph over Goliath, but because of the energy, the life energy force, and this is where the myth of the green man, the legend of the green man comes into play, these things can literally reanimate, like a salamander losing its tail. That's why the head has to come off. And I want to just share this. All I've ever been told by the people that fight these things are three things. Number one, you've got to use solid copper, and then this is germane to what I'm going to share next. You've got to use solid copper, heavy caliber weapons. That doesn't mean copper plate. It doesn't mean copper, uh, you know, uh, uh, pellets and like number four buck or, or, or whatever, double odd buck. It means like things like elephant caliber guns. It means like M249 and the 308 machine guns with solid copper rounds. The solid copper poisons the bloodstream. And I asked every form of copper I could think of. People send me emails, can I do copper arrowheads? Uh, the Native Americans did, and they would have to fire hundreds of them. But at the end of the day, they had to take down and take off the head of the giants. And Tom, what's fascinating to me, uh, they also told me, these are special operations guys that kill these you have to use smoke because the giants have to have their olfactory sense, which is very keen. They, you have to confuse it. And so, you know, that's about it that I know, and that's all I was ever told. Because, again, you know, I ask questions about heat, like flamethrowers. I ask questions about extreme cold. Nope, none of that stuff works. And so what's fascinating is the ancient copper mines in the Upper Peninsula, or Solomon's Mine. Copper was more important than, quote, the Bronze Age. Copper was used in weaponry. Even in the desert southwest, we had a, a gentleman who sent me the photos, and now he's got a DVD out, um, and and talking about the, the the if you will, the giant king and queen who are clad in copper armor. And what's very critical to understand is that we're going to have to deal with this. Now, I want to read this from the web bots. Now, Tom, you and I were in the desert southwest, led there, led, L-E-D, by, or L-E-A-D, whichever way you spell it, led there by the, by the living God. And here's what Cliff High, I would tell everybody, the, the reports are inexpensive. Page 29 of a 38-page report. This is critical for you to understand. When you're dealing with the spirit realm, even even words and, and all that's out there in cyberspace, you really think that uh, you know some of the smartest fallen angels in the history of their creation don't know how to type, you know, or don't know how to use the technology that they're behind. I'm going to say this. This is going to blow your mind, Tom. The pharaohic Egyptian meme, meaning the theme, is going to be very wide across humanity over this year. Now, listen to this. He goes on to say, in other sets, we have both Grand Canyon as well as separate indicators for Southwest North America, which discovery of ancient Egyptian artifacts and language and that will, uh, their items will be appearing. Now, what's important is 
I just got another email. God bless you, my brother. He said this. He's a member of a, a SWAT team for the DHS. They're now being assigned to guard a FEMA in their undertaking. He didn't know what it was about until we were talking tonight. If this isn't cool, I don't know how to explain cool. I mean that the hand of the Lord. Now, listen. Other sets or themes have military involved in excluding civilian populations from the fine. Note that this episode has more geographic references to the American Southwest than other areas. Now, these sets, Cliff High speaking, also describe a fight that will occur between locals and military over removal of artifacts. And they go out by basically officialdom is going to freak out after they learn that a number, like hundreds of thousands of the artifacts have gone missing. So they're talking, the, the central theme is this, that new discoveries underground, forbidden archaeology, and all of this uh, uh, ancient technology with diagrams and machinery and everything, it's coming out. And here's one of the most fascinating things. I made this statement, and I write about pyramids in this book, and not from a New Age or a cult, but basically there's going to be, you're going to love this, a reactivation of pyramids from around the world with, uh, uh, in essence, a visible force that's going to be seen. So it's like something's going to activate the pyramids. And in my understanding, you know this too, you teach it's the gate of the gods, that the stargate, that the capstone, and I can share this with you, that at, at one point, a number of years ago, is when the Epic of Gilgamesh, the tomb of Gilgamesh was found. Special forces had gone in ahead of time, but it was at the time that you received the Iraqi information from the museum before your house mysteriously, and you know me, I've never maintained otherwise, was intentionally set on fire. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole story, I think we talked about it. But the point being is, Tom, last week, the Stargate that you see on my website, on the photo of the days, people say it just looks like a big indentation. Yeah, big as in 13 feet, was submitted by a photographer who knows what we're talking about. And he said he had the most unusual feeling. He said when he saw it, he instantly knew what it was. Now, why were you and I and Timothy Albarino, our film crews in the desert southwest? Again, when Jesus, here's, I hope that people get this point. When Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, it literally means follow after me. It's like the parable of the seed that falls on the different ground. It's like the, the seed that grows up, some good, some weeds, but it's up to God to send the angels. I, I hope this is getting across to everyone. In other words, the major themes that are coming out, I better read this one email. I mean, this is, this is chilling, and Doug, I, I, I'll send all this to you so you can... Uh, uh, you know the person that sent this to me, and yep, yep. Uh, he says this. This is active in DHS. Isn't it funny that DHS just made a specialized response team of elite military veterans who are DHS law enforcement officers who are now FEMA's direct security force during national security events, natural disasters that cause state of emergencies? 
That is directed by the president and secretary of DHS. And here you are speaking of these situations, and we are the protectors of said situations. And my brother that sent that to me, if you think of all, uh, you know, your future in the months ahead, look at how God is preparing you to deal with this when you have to deal with it. So what what we're seeing right now, and that was a not coded message, but a encouraging message to the person that sent that, the idea is simply this. Ladies and gentlemen, by unlocking the keys that Thomas Horn has been led to research right about, by uh, Timothy Alberino's, and I can tell you this, Tim did the most amazing job of writing the script, and, and things would flow in. He even said it to me today. And, and by the way, Tom, I think the the uh, trailer will be ready by next week. It's just got to be mastered on Monday. When people hear and see the images of what truly went on and put this into perspective, any of you want to challenge, go ahead. Go buy Half Past Human, the web bots. I think half hyphen... Uh, you know, halfpasshuman.com, and you can just look up Cliff High Webbot, H-I-G-H, uh, you'll be blown away. You will absolutely be blown away. So, you know, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you've got to recognize that we're not on the cutting edge of history. We're on the proclamation of real history, and God's giving you a warning. And, Tom, you know the scripture. God says, surely, Lord, God will do nothing. I quoted earlier, but he also says his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because, and here's the best news yet, you don't have to be afraid about this stuff. Jesus said, behold, they give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But this just is exciting to me to see. And by the way, I just got an email, too. The Song of Hiawatha by Longfellow talks about how the giants ripped huge boulders from the mountains to hurl hurl at each other and said this is how there came to be so many boulders strewn around the mountains. And in thank you, I can't pronounce your name, starts with an E, uh, Arindia, Arindlia, but thank you for sending that, but it's it's always, whether you're dealing with the uh, Toltecs, you have these huge boulders, you know, maybe they're just such big giants, they decide they got bored with eating people and wanted to play marbles. Well, they happen to weigh tons, but the point being is this, that Everything now is going to be revealed. And like I said earlier, they'll try and contain it. It's beyond the point of containing because when God gives his decree from heaven, let the truth be known. Doesn't matter who does what. Doesn't matter who tries to cover it up. It will come forth. And I was literally in a place. I'm just going to whet the appetite of people. The people that come to Branson will see this. And and I'm not going to show it anyplace else. I won't put it on my website. People will see an area that the Egyptians longboats actually sailed into this part of the Grand Canyon and the surrounding area thousands of years before the Anasazi were cannibalized. And we're talking about the same thing that Cliff Mahoudi talked to us about in the drilling. And Tom, when that drilling took place, I was called after coast to coast and told that they carried the giants, the giant mummies out, and they took them to Area 51. Anybody want to bet there was extractable DNA from those? Yeah, and by the way, Steve, we're going to oh, go to a hey, another break here, I think, any second. But I just want to say when yeah. we come back from the 
Yeah, guys, we're right up against the, the break. Sorry to jump in there. Folks, we're talking with Steve Quill from SteveQuill.com and Tom Horn, SkywatchTV.com. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. And as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. This final hour of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we are joined by Tom Horn of SkywatchTV.com and Steve Quill from SteveQuill.com. 
Tom, I'm going to turn it back over to you. You were uh, about to make a point right before the break. Yeah, uh, well, in following up with part of what Steve was saying, and Steve, um, as you know, when I saw the last documentary that you produced, um, I said at the time, that's the standard, that's the gold standard by which all other Christian documentary films are made. And I had never said that about your uh, any of your other productions. I never said it about anybody else's uh, documentary filmmaking, but um, it, in every way, it was the best Christian documentary film I had ever seen, from scripting to uh, content um, to the music playing in the background to the timing between scene changes. I mean, everything about this was a full-on best-of-Hollywood-level production. But I can now say, and I've only seen little parts of this, um, the new documentary, well, of course, being part of the research and, and being able to be you know, in the Four Corners area, spending weeks of time with you behind the scenes, where we went, what we filmed, what we were told, uh, and being able to film some of the evidence, locations, and things like that that you're going to reveal in your documentary film. I'm kind of dancing around some of the subject matter here. But I can now say that that uh, this is going to become the new standard. Well, at least that's what you and Tim are telling me, um, and I believe well, that it, it's true. It is groundbreaking it, it is. information. It's going to demand it the is. history of America be rewritten. That's not, you know, that's a statement that people have used in the past. This time, it's real. It really is honestly going to demand that a great portion of America's history has to be rewritten. Um, now, Steve. Um, at the September conference. So, again, people should realize there, there's the book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters. There's the companion documentary film that you're producing, which is probably going to be one and a half to two hours long at least. Two hours. Um, two hours two long hours. That, you, that you're producing. Um, and uh, But because there is so much information here, you also decided that you would have a conference. It's going to be in Branson. Why don't you tell people how they can register to be there, who the speakers are going to be, um, and and what are people, you know, like Anselm P. Rumbla, whom I'm, I've never met, but I know he celebrated. Uh, what's he going to be revealing to audiences? I mean, I, I kind of know a little bit. It's stuff that's contained beneath a specific Catholic church by the Vatican. But why don't you tell people who Anselm is, what his credentials are, and who some of the other people are that are going to be at this conference, and how, if they want to come, how can they register? Well, first of all, there's a specific web page that we'd like to send everybody to. It's called Gen6, G-E-N-S-I-X, conferences, plural, dot com. Gen6conferences.com. Tim, when he was in uh, Peru, basically met and uh, talked to uh, Anselm P. Rambla, actually talked to him in Spain. He lives in uh, Spain. And Anselm has been a world-class explorer all over the world. He was the guy that discovered the Shinkana, the great underground tunnel system in which the uh, Incas were able to evade, a lot of Incas were able to evade the conquistadors uh, when Pizarro, Pizarro, some people pronounce it, basically ransacked Peru looking and, and going for all the gold. 
Anselm is, by the way, he's got to be, he looks like the, uh, you know, that commercial. What a great looking guy. He just looks the part. And he's going to be there, and he speaks Spanish, but he'll have an instant interpreter as he speaks. And he's going to reveal things, and I only know bits and pieces that no one in the world has ever seen or heard. He told Timothy, and by the way, he, he at this point, uh, you know, is, is one of the foremost archaeologists in the world, but he had the Vatican shut him down because of what he found. And it's the same thing, ladies and gentlemen, that Tom is talking about in us on the Native American Sacred Site uh, uh, you know, report that was done by the University of Arizona for the Defense Department. The thing that's important is, is that he has chosen, until this time, he said this to Tim, obviously in Spanish on the phone, and Tim speaks Spanish, that he knew there would come a time when he must release all the decades of information that he never believed would be released until that time. And he's basically saying, this is time. Now, I think that's fascinating, because he's coming at it from a non-Christian perspective. He's coming at it from a classic archaeologist. He's coming from a knowing that the official uh, denials by the Catholic Church and the government, uh, again, the same shadow government that shut us down with the uh, person in San Canyon shut him down and shut him off. But praise God, Tom, we get we get the ability to have one of the great, I'm talking about Thor Heyerdahl kind of guy, I'm talking about guys who are in the Explorers Cup, uh, uh, Percy Fawcett, who found the lost city of Z, or was looking for it before he was murdered, and uh, 125 people went looking for him, and he was murdered by the, they were murdered by the cannibals, but but I would say this. Here's what's going to be different. First of all, Timothy Alberino, L.A. Marzulli, and Anselm P. Rambla, all center in South America. Now, it's called the Naval of Civilization. Derek Gilbert's going to be the first speaker because he has done a masterful job in his book, Inception. Yeah. He was, he was kind enough to send me the PDF. Dr. Michael Lake on the Shinar Directive, and, and I'm going to be talking, I'm going to be one of the last speakers. You're going to be speaking Friday night, and you're going to be speaking on your findings, and I'm going to be basically the guy who speaks the last night on what it all leads to. But this is not a, a statement of, uh, uh, you know, this is not, quote, bragging rights. For the first time in history, and I, I'm the one that wrote this, so I guess I can read what I wrote, the most cutting-edge and up-to-date researchers and authors concerning giants, fallen angels, ancient civilizations, and now the unfolding genetic war between men and beasts will be gathered together for the True Legend Conference in Branson, Missouri. Now, it's September 15th through the 17th, and Pastor David Langford will be there, and David has, I brought him on talk radio with me, I think 24, 23 years ago, uh, and David knows what's going on. He's going to be speaking uh, to encourage the people of God, and last time he was in, uh, well, both Texas and in Bozeman at the Whitestone Conference, there was a powerful move of God. We're going to lay it out for people, and then God's going to give his people, this we know in our spirits, and, and Pastor Langford is has got a remarkable uh, relationship with the Lord through prayer and fasting. Uh, Dr. Michael Lake, obviously, all, and you're, you know, I won't call you Pastor Tom Horn, because that's not your place right now. You have been. But the point is, is 
I think it's interesting. It's the old and new crowd coming on the scene to basically teach people what God has independently taught us all these years and through all these uh, books we've written, all the interviews we've done. And what I want to share with people is, and I'm still working on the exact way, we're going to have a giant screen about, I don't know, 12 feet by 40 feet or something like that. You've seen them, the big, great big screens. And those things are astonishing because we're going to present filmic evidence that we're not going to release anyplace. We're going to show it on purpose to the people that have come, who have prayed for us, who have supported us. And there's going to be some mind-blowing stuff. And uh, again, with what has been taking place with the web bots, and ladies and gentlemen, I want to share this with you. Uh, Gordon McDonald, as Tom shared, he's, he's the guy that's running this, uh, doing a marvelous job. But he tells me that because there's other things going on in Brands, Missouri, there's only so many uh, rooms there. So uh, go to gen6conferences.com. And what I'm trying to do is have the people that are speaking give at least uh, 30 minutes for, for questions. They will be pre-submitted and read out loud. That saves all the hemming and hawing. Since I'm not the most patient guy in the world, and you've done more you know <laughs> conferences than I have, that, you know, that's basically patience. And me don't go in the, but you know, the him and Han, and they really want to ask. I don't mean that. I want people to be able to address Thomas Horn when you are speaking about what you're speaking. When Anselm will have an interpreter, you can ask him anything you want. So uh, I hate not, you know, people leaving a conference. Now, obviously, there's a time limit on this stuff because it starts on a Friday morning, and I think we have four speakers a day or three speakers a day. You know, we'll, we'll settle that, but we're leaving a half an hour to 45 minutes for people ask questions. The questions will be pre-submitted. But again, the idea is this. The exploration, investigation, and education of the realities of the world before the flood of Noah and the tremendous, uh, if you will, signs importance they bode for the days we now live in. So I think it will be uh, mind-blowing. And Timothy Alvarino will be there. And I can tell you this, I'm trying to get Tim. uh, Tim, you need to know people. Let me share this with you. I can't give the details because I'm not sworn to secrecy, but I'm not at liberty to tell this. The most powerful and most uh, well-funded documentary companies in the world are partaking on two of the most famous expeditions that have failed. And they're calling, you know, Gen 6. And you know what they wanted me to do? Not talk about Jesus so much, okay? And that's really true. But, you know, the interesting thing is in where in one location, you're going to love this, Tom, they volunteered the information, blonde-haired, blue-eyed giants that are cannibals in one part of the country. And this is on the Brazil border. And they actually, if you've ever read The Lost City of Z, or there's a movie now. Isn't it interesting? Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is within $5 billion being the richest man in the world. And the very first uh, movie he produces is the Amazon, with the whole, the Amazon River and the whole story of uh, Percy Fawcett. The Lost City of Z. I think there is so much going on. Then the other expedition is to another part of the world, and we're one of the greatest underground cities in the history of the world. And we're talking, we're talking stuff that's that's literally miles and miles and miles. Is in the uh, you know uh, the former Eastern Bloc nations of Romania and Bulgaria. 
So, and ladies and gentlemen, these things cost a lot of money. They're, you know, we roll the profits in, and Tom, you've seen the quality of stuff we bring in, the cameramen, the sound men, yeah, the post-production. For instance, the soundtrack, I'm telling you what, Tim has 18 tracks of music in this, and we have a guy named Carlos as a production assistant. We also speak Spanish, and I've learned three words, you know. Uh, I shouldn't learn more, but anyway, they're doing a marvelous job. We have a six-time Grammy Award-winning sound guy, six times, and he happens to live in Bozeman. The astonishing thing is, is that some of the interviews, these people will be dead and not along, and what's, what is perplexing to me is, is the timing. I'm saying, Lord, I'm hoping that when people see that the quality of speakers that are going to be there, that they're going to start to open up. I'm talking about military. I'm talking about, um, you know, the intelligence agencies. And here's a word that, and I'm going to share this. I know from past, and by the way, you're all welcome. If you're with the NSA, CIA, uh, NRO, ABC, DEF, GHI, I don't care. You're welcome. Because here's a word that the Lord gave me, and, I, and I, you can pray about it, and I believe it's for these people I just mentioned. The very entities that you believe you're going to control, when they come forth, they're going to come forth with an appetite, and you think you control them, they will not be under your control, and you guys will be on the menu. Now, I didn't sit up late one night because I'm up you know, late all nights, but that's something that the Lord dropped in my spirit. So I want you to ponder that, everybody in those uh, three-letter, four-letter agencies, you know, ponder it. And you're all welcome. Just make sure you register soon, you know. And by the way, you know, uh, Tom, we're seeing uh, some very interesting feedback on uh, Branson already. I get emails. Uh, Tim gets them. I, I assume you get them. I don't know. I, you know, I haven't asked you about that. But what we're seeing is people really, really hungry. And, and Derek's book, you know, and I think it's great. You know, it's funny. Uh, Derek's interviewed me, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen times on Skywatch and their different updates. And now it's a, he has done a masterful job. And, uh, you know, it's called The Great Inception, Satan's Psyops from Eden to Armageddon. And I think his title is absolutely uh, so specific, so concise, and so defined. Dr. Michael Lake will be talking about the Shinar from the Plains of Shinar directed. You know, L.A. is going to be talking about all of his ongoing stuff in South America and his Watcher series. Timothy will be talking about whatever he wants to talk about that's current. And, you know, we're going to be talking with uh, the, I would say this, the foremost explorer in the world when it comes to the underground city. So we want people to come. We want you to register. And I think Gordon said there's a limit, that we can't have as many people as the thing will seat. So please, ladies and gentlemen, go to gen6conferences.com. I'm excited about this. And you know this. Tom, you've tried to get me to speak at conferences for what? I don't know, since we've known each other. Yeah, and how in the world does that work, that you've turned me down on all of my conferences, but then you head-tripped me saying that I owe you, <laughs> that I have to speak at your conference, right? Well, yeah, but you had made me a commitment at your breakfast table. <laughs> and, and I will say this, yes, 
and you agreed to do it, so we're blessed. And ladies and gentlemen, I know that Tom is, you know, being gracious to come here, but again, it's, you know, now looking back at what we've done together, I think you can see where your, your presence is required. And I will say this, the Lord hath need of thee. <laughs> well, hey, also, by that time, the time of the conference, um, I, I'm thinking that we will have met, hopefully, with the uh, Smithsonian curators. Um, and uh, so we'll have brand new information. And I've invited Michael Herring and his wife to be there. Uh, we'll be revealing the most up-to-date, groundbreaking discoveries. Um, it's going to be visualized. In other words, people will see the images, the maps, all of it, all the pictures of what we discovered uh, is going to be displayed. And um, and then, of course, if people have the book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, and the documentary film, uh, we're going to be there. If they, you know, there's going to be a meet and greet. Uh, I don't know how they, you know, how do they register to do to do the meet and greet to be able to meet with us? We can sign the stuff, but it's not just about getting our autographs. I'm I'm certainly not, you know, uh, I don't consider myself to be somebody who you you need my autograph. But we're going to do that. But we're going to fellowship with people. How do they do the meet and greet? I don't know that yet. It'll go up on the site. First of all, we got to decide how many people are coming, okay? And this, I'm leaving that stuff in, in Gordon's hands, you know? And again, there are people that are special. When I say special to the ministry, there are a lot of people that have prayed. And, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be curious to see how many people have been listening to you and I. How long have we been on talk radio together? Do you remember? You, yeah, you, man, you I don't know. A couple of decades. Um, and, yeah. uh, well, I know that you and I were doing radio back when it was shortwave, and it was pre-2000 uh, because we were talking about Y2K and what some people believed was going to happen during Y2K. So, yeah, that would have been yeah, 1995. It's been at least 20 years. Yep. Well, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm, I'm troubled. One of my intercessors who was listening to the show in real time said she's been praying about this. And by the way, she prays and gets answers, and she takes it seriously. But she said, she said, Lord, give me a word that relates to all this that's going to be taking place in the end days. And the, 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 um, the word God gave her, I, she, this just comes in in real time. That's what I love about doing this show with you, Doug and Joe and, and Tom. And we can, we can respond in real time. And she said the word she got was gruesome. And then what's interesting, because uh, I put it on my website years ago, my friend Romy Zarek, big-time intercessor, uh, got a vision, and the Lord showed her uh, black angels. I mean, they were dressed in black, coming down, singing beautiful music, and all the people were running after him, just like the Pied Piper, and they were leading him behind these ruins, and they were devouring him. Now, this was before the cannibal theme. I think she shared that with me close to 10 years ago. As a matter of fact, I'm going to twist her arm to have her resend it to me. But this theme, Tom, this theme is this, that, again, by ingesting human DNA, the DNA is changed. And this is why it's critical for people to understand something. We don't know our family trees, and I don't mean swinging from them. We don't know what our ancestors did, but we know the promise of the Bible. If any man be in Christ Jesus, behold, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. 
And if you want to get the basic pr uh, primer on superpositioning quantum physics, all you got to know is when Jesus said we're seated in heavenly places, you know, I mean, you know, where I am, there you may be also, you know, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and the whole thing in the book of John. The thing that's interesting is, is that that's superpositioning. So the spiritual realm that maybe even those in the time of the Gospels and Epistles, meaning at the time they were written, or the first century church couldn't really understand quantum physics, but they believed the Lord. Some maybe did, but most didn't. And, and you know, it, that's accounted to them for righteousness. So why I think this is so critical at this time is because you're going to have a, a, a xenogenetic world where every form of DNA is going to be inserted into the human genome. And I've said this before, and I stand on this. You know, you've heard me say it probably a dozen times. The entire human genome project was not to find the human genome, but to find the inhuman genome. The entire point of taking DNA swabs and all these ancestry dot this and that, those go into a data bank. Just like everything you think, do, and say or type on your computer today is memorialized in some bloody, and I mean bloody, soon to be bloody data bank someplace, so is DNA. The most precious commodity in the world is information now. And those who are seeking information and want to control the information also want to control the zine, the, if you will, the xenogenetic structure. I've got to share this. The book that I think is so critical for people to acquire, not because I wrote it, not because I researched it, but it's xenogenesis. It's on my website. It's critical, ladies and gentlemen. It's absolutely critical because what Tom and I wrote together and unearthing the cloud eaters, or I'm sorry, you know, the whole the whole issue of that is basically based on the history of the world, the creation of the world, the judgment of the pre-world, and and all that has to uh, that it uh, what's the word I want that it contains, you know, unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters, and here's what's on compelling evidence of the incursion of giants, their extraordinary technology, and imminent return. Uh, we could lay out every single thing point by point, but you've got to study these things. You've got to pray about them. You've got to see if these things be true. Hey, Steve, um, I'm glad you brought up this whole point about xenogenesis because I want to say something about your book uh, and also why you and I were just listed by the University of London as the leaders of the <laughs> resistance, right? I'll say something about that in a moment. I, I want to just um, uh, quickly add that uh, at the conference, uh, Anselm, as I understand it, he's going to be uh, bringing the decades of information, uh, some of which has been censored by the Vatican regarding what he actually already discovered, buried beneath an ancient Catholic church. So he's going to be bringing some of that information, also new uh, discoveries, that is going to literally... Um, be revealed for the first time at that conference. Uh, well, you and I are also going to be doing that. Um, and so this is going to be a conference unlike anything else. I joked with you a moment ago, but the reason I agreed to participate in all of this, the book, the documentary film, the conference, is because I was shocked by what we found. I was shocked by what we uncovered. It is going to demand the history of the Americas be rewritten, I'm excited about us uh, making this information available to the world. Uh, and again, I'm going to repeat that if a person 
pre-orders Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters or the Cloud Eaters Mega Offer at skywatchtv.com. Go over there. You can watch the the, uh, trailer right below the trailer at skywatchtv.com, right on the front page. You'll see this little ad. You can click on it. It'll take you into the store. And you can pre-order the new book, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, the new documentary film. Um, and, And you get both of those at a discounted price, but then free, you get two other books. I'm really excited. I bought a, a train load of really high quality books that are also associated with uh, you know, aspects of our research that we're going to be giving away free. Plus this 24-hour, never released before, new audio series called Shadow Hand. 24 hours of me and Steve talking about everything in the world. <laughs> You're going to get that free too. Uh, and uh, But for Hagman listeners only, this is not advertised anywhere in the world. If you order this, if you make this pre-order, when you check out, either you'll see a um, like a place where you can order a, uh, enter a promo code. But if you don't see that, just put it in the comment section. Just type in Hagman Enoch, and if you do that, they're also going to include in your shipment the brand new hardback collector's edition of the Ancient Book of Enoch which has the first ever narrative about how these giant cloud eaters arrived on Earth. Anyway, it's over $200 worth of stuff, and uh, as Hagman listeners, we do that because we appreciate the Hagmans and we appreciate uh, the audience that listens to them. Now, Steve, back to your Xenogenesis stuff. You know, something, and and I know we only got about 30 minutes now, Um, one of the other things that we should maybe quickly discuss is the science of genetic manipulation and engineering because this was used by the ancient watchers. Yes, um, sir. The watchers were really genetic scientists. That's what they were. That's what they did. Every record talks about them using the DNA of humans and animals to create these exotic bodies. Well, listen, that's exactly what modern geneticists are doing today in the creation of chimeras and other exotic body forms, CRISPR-Cas9 technology, gene editing this is exactly what we are doing today. And so the question is this, if indeed the activities of the watchers was the use of biotechnology, they wouldn't have used that term. We use it today. But if that's what they were doing to produce these exotic bodies uh, that have the, well, first of all, they had the ability to become a fit extension for incarnation by supernaturalism, but they also had this, strange ability to reincarnate after physical death um, would the method of the returning from the grave in the end times Jesus says Matthew 24 37 as it was in the days of Noah is the method for their returning in these end times a repeat of that of that kind of science now I believe that could be the case the Bible actually provides a record of that occurring, and we don't have time to go into this because we've talked about it before. And when people get the free 24-hour uh, Shadow Hand collection, there's a whole section, five hours long in there by me and you, uh, in which we describe how um, the story of Nimrod, um, where Nimrod began to be a Giborim a giant, as it says in the Septuagint, exactly how that happened, how his genetics were modified. By the way, um, 
did Nimrod practice ritual cannibalism? Is that how his genetics were changed? It's kind of a secret. We don't really know. We just know that in the Hebrew Old Testament, it says his genetic makeup was changed, and he suddenly began to become an offspring of the Watchers. Very strange, right? All right, let's fast forward to modern days. Are scientists conducting the same thing today? Is this connected to Steve Quayle's book, Xenogenesis? A professor, uh, S. Jonathan O'Donnell, he's a teaching fellow at the University of London. Uh, he very recently wrote a thesis titled Secularizing Demons, Fundamentalist Navigations in Religion and Secularity, in which he names me specifically, Tom Horn, redundantly in this article, as the leader of a growing transhumanist resistance group that he uh, calls the Milieu. <laughs> the Milieu, I think that's a French word, right? I looked it up. It simply means like a group of people. But he describes um, a particular brand of mostly evangelical believers and bioconservatives that he views as potentially dangerous anti-transhumanist apocalypticists that he warns uh, could antagonize broad cultural tensions. Um, In other words, we're going to swallow their BS and become just like them. And, and by the way, uh, you know, I think it's great we're the, we are the transhumanist resistance. I love it, Tom. I do. Yeah, but this is full-on university. Well, first of all, um, he sees me and you both as the leaders. He names you. He names you by name. He and Good. he and he refers to your book, Xenogenesis. That's in the end note of his of his thesis. Um, that's why I brought this up. Um, he sees you as the sergeant of arms, and I don't know what title he really means by me. He just he continues to refer to Horns Milu. <laughs> but the point is, the thesis was selected and published in the prestigious quarterly peer-reviewed academic journal of religion and science which is itself sponsored by the Center for Advanced Study in Religion and Science. Now, why is that important? Because these are the academic institutions that guide the development of curriculum, study programs, academic literature that's meant to influence uh, religious and science leaders um, regarding convictions by which people make their fundamental decisions. In other words, Here's what their website says. It says they do this thereby to revitalize and universalize the long-evolving wisdom and power inherent in the religious dimension of culture to sponsor and conduct meetings, conferences, seminars, and lecture programs to communicate the results of the Center for Advanced Study in Religion and Science Activities through scholarly and popular journals, books, works of creative artists and mass media, and to publish scholarly journals. In other words, what they're saying um, is... Is we're the scholars, meaning those guys, and we're just, you know, uh, gnats in there buzzing around their heads. Well, That's my... it's, it, it's, what they, it's what they hope. What they hope is to influence and to guide through this slow progression and indoctrination the belief systems of religious people. So the bottom line is so that they can eventually reject, so that religious persons, Christians, 
will eventually reject conservatives, Bible believers like me and you, Steve, and Doug and, and Joe, um, and to convince them to accept a transhumanist agenda that's going to bring back the days of Noah, the lies of the Nakash, that men can be as gods, the lies of the cloud eaters, that the cloud eaters are our friends if we will only let them be. Now, uh, I know i got to hurry, but because ancient transhumanism is absolutely related to the original sense of the Watchers, I believe, who saw that modifying humanity as a method of leaving their fixed habitation, as Peter and Jude discuss in the New Testament, quoting from the book of Enoch, um, I just I also see that uh, this modern transhumanist uh, milieu, you, me, the other people they name, which I'll tell you in a moment before before we run out of time. Um, it's this is fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus. Uh, Steve, earlier you quoted some of the resources that said at the end of time a body of men will be raised up. Um, and Amongst that, much clamor. Yeah. The scientist, what was his name that said that? Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah, Sir Isaac Newton. And way, he, course, was from London, he was from London, too. Maybe he's answering that guy in a prophetic way. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, he, they refer to our demonology. Um, he's a University of London professor. He describes our demonology. And let me quote, let me make a couple of fast quotes here about what he says about us. And if somebody wants this document, it's 23, 24, 28, whatever pages it is. It's been published in academic literature over the last couple of months, naming me, Steve Quayle, and some other people as the leaders of the resistance, right? But here's what he says. He says, the individual, I'm quoting now, the individuals in this group are not formally affiliated, but rather coalesce around evangelical survivalist Thomas Horn. <laughs> I didn't know I was a survivalist, but okay. Their primary hubs at present are Skywatch TV, coordinated by Derek Gilbert. And by the way, Derek Gilbert is also speaking at the conference coming up in September. Uh, the group's print works are mostly published through Horn's publishing house defender let me jump let me forward jump forward in this because he just goes on and on horn's been featured heavily on the popular right-wing conspiracist website worldnet daily i don't think joseph fur would like you know that um whatever the way he's defined in this article close ties to other parts of the christian right through his ally with chuck misler serving as faculty at misler's coinity institute both misler and horn the other members of the milieu are part of the broader current of the third wave spiritual warfare a neo-charismatic paradigm with dominionist influence and it's interesting because you and i have been very public about rejecting the dominionist worldview but anyway Dominionist influences that emerged in the 1980s become influential across the spectrum of conservative evangelicalism in the United States, drawing on the biblical image. Okay, so here's where it starts getting interesting. Drawing on the biblical image of the holy warrior. This paradigm, me and you, Steve, construct a worldview in which the spiritual, that is the heavenly, and material, that is the earthly world, act as intertwined battlefields in a cosmic struggle for the human soul, one waged against Satan who has amassed an army of evil spirits that he is using to attack and demonize humans in an effort to win their souls for hell. 
Um, he's doing all this sarcastically, but while projecting himself as a true Christian, um, he goes on. A clear example of this hermeneutic can be discerned in Horn's discussion of the causes and ends of radical enhancement, heaven and hell scenarios of human enhancement, drawing on Joel Guru's radical evolution and Francis Fukuyama's Our Post-Human Future. Let me jump forward here, because I want to get to the part where he's quoting Steve Quayle. Um, he, he goes on and on. He describes how our Melu ties all this to the narrative of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, uh, in which a united human effort to build a tower to heaven brings divine judgment and forced dispersion of the nations. So he goes on, quote, For the Melu, the goal of Babel is human apotheosis. The act of building this blurs into the second quality, an act of becoming God, which is opposed to being. In other words, what he's saying here is Tom Horn and Steve Quayle are opposed to the idea of the angels who left their estate, their place of being where God uh, put them. Uh, Probably show up at his house, Tom. Yeah, requote. Both Babel and Watcher narratives can be constructed as modalities of the fall, lambasting New Age and neo-pagan notions of inner personal divinity as attempts to recreate Babel by uniting all peoples under one faith. Horn writes, pagans argue that a principle of inner divinity is older than Christianity, which is true. The gospel, according to such New Age concepts, a gospel of becoming God, is old as the fall of man. It began when the serpent said to the woman, you shall be as God, and it will zenith during the reign of the Antichrist God King. Anyway, he goes on, he talks about Sharon Gilbert, uh, all this stuff, um, and it, it, people, if if somebody wants this, I'll send it to them. It's a nine thousand word academic dissertation. I actually paid to get the a copy that was published in the uh, Journal of Religious uh, and Science Journal. Uh, it's 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 his treatise. He's working on his PhD, but he's also a, a professor at the University of London. But he says, Steve, that for demonologists like me and you, and Steve specifically. Transhumanism is connected to an apocalyptic vision in which technoscience initiates the end times, and the worst aspects of a demonized humanity will be unleashed. Salvation will be lost to all but the remaining unenhanced survivors. He's saying this, by the way, based on your book, Xenogenesis. You know, Good. Good. Immortality and transcendence, he says, again, talking about you. Uh, will be achieved by artifice alone in which the perfecter perfects itself through the perfection that it wills itself to be and the keystone of Babel is finally set in fulfillment of a promise offered by a serpent in a garden long ago. Creation becomes finally and forever an utter and irrevocable outlaw. Now, very quickly, I know we're going to run out of time. Here is uh, an important end to his analysis and where he and uh, religious transhumanists like him seek to stereotype and diminish and conquer and divide. But watch what he says here at the conclusion of this of this of this thesis, which was published um, in a peer-reviewed journal. The article here, uh, and I'm quoting now: "Quote this article mainly uses evangelical to refer to the subset of conservative evangelicals known as fundamentalists." While evangelicalism can broadly be categorized by its emphasis on conversion experience, biblical authority, the centrality of the crucifixion, and activist commitment 
to good work, fundamentalism emerges as one specific part of this paradigm. Now listen, indeed, many evangelicals would deny association with fundamentalist paradigms like Horn and Quayle's milieu, which Matthew Avery Sutton defines as radical apocalyptic evangelicalism. The relation between fundamentalism and evangelicalism is multifaceted, however, and complicated by the use of the terms to refer both to specific historical movements and broader ideologies. In the United States, the conscious rebranding of conservative fundamentalists as evangelicals in the 1940s also complicates differentiation in contemporary contexts, not least since it obscures, among others, listen to this, the evangelical left, by which he means pro-transhumanist believers that call themselves evangelicals, they continue, quote, the group we've explored, Tom Horn, Steve Quayle, and their milieu, could be designated as evangelical fundamentalists, or neither. Its members self-identify as evangelicals or conservative Christians and arise from the conservative evangelical tradition that runs through Billy Graham, Jerry Falwell, and Pat Robertson. Uh, let me stop here for a moment. Note, he picks the three evangelicals that he imagines uh, has the most negative labels historically to try to lump me and you in with them. Me and you've never been involved with any of the above, but he tries to lump it all together. Uh, let me continue this short quote, and then I'll quit. Their emphasis, back to Tom Horn, Steve Quayle, their emphasis on spiritual warfare, however, derives from Pentecostalism, specifically from the neo-charismatic third wave of the 1980s. Furthermore, despite claims to ideological purity and the primacy of biblical authority, these members draw heavily from pagan mythologies. Let me end quote here for a moment. He, he, he doesn't take time to elaborate. He just gives this broad mischaracterization that we're basing all this on pagan mythologies. Uh, Illumin, uh, uh, continue, quote, Illuminous conspiracies and ufology and ancient alien hypothesis, and then in parentheses he says this, Horn, Putnam, and Quail. This group is thus difficult to classify, and this article uses evangelical mainly as a way of locating in the United States cultural context which uh, with which it is most consciously aligned, in quote. And then he finally, he mentions the members of the milieu. He, he talks about, Steve, the, the church that you and I are pastoring, so we might as well mention who he mentions here. Um, here's the leaders of the milieu, Thomas and Nita Horn. Poor Nita, little pony pony girl, right, using therapy ponies, but all of a sudden she's part of the milieu. Steve Quayle, Chuck Misler, Michael Bennett, Gary Stearman, Sharon and Derek Gilbert, Douglas Hamp, Chris Putnam, who of course is now deceased, Michael Lake, John McTurnan, Michael Lake, by the way, is also speaking at the conference, John McTurnan, Noah Hutchings, who's also now deceased, Donna Howell, really? Give me a break. Donna Howell, Larry Spargimino of Southwest Radio Church, Douglas Krieger, Douglas Woodward, Paul McGuire, Fred DeRuvo, which I personally haven't heard from in the decade. Carl Tykrib, Gary Bates, Russ Dizdar, Michael Hoggard, Terry James, Terry Cook, and Frederick Meekins, among others. So now you know 
who makes up the mysterious conspirators, the Malou, the resistance organization under Tom Horn and Steve Quayle, uh, uh, that are evidently the enemies of the transhumanist revolution, and I think the rebirth of the Watchers technology that seeks to bring back the days of Noah. Well, I actually, you know, I feel that he's done a really good case in spelling it out. You know, I, 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 and I do, I pray that the Lord takes him by his own words. We may have a milieu, that just means a family or the cadre of people, but he's got the meow, 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 and he may have a <laughs> Ph.D. Of piled higher and deeper, but I'll tell you what, he needs to cut through the B.S. of Bravo Sierra. He needs to quit swallowing that which came off the fan. I'm not name-calling, but what I'm saying is this. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're going to see, and I think, Tom, no offense, he just made our case. People who stick to the Word of God, people who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is a classic hit piece of identify, vilify, nullify, destroy. Okay, I want to say that again. I identify, vilify, nullify, and destroy. It doesn't. It doesn't matter that uh, some of the things he says. Hey, I could. I could absolutely say. You know what? I agree with you. But since when does horse manure? And I'd like to use it in more a blunt than that. Qualify as good scholarship. What he has is an opinionated piece. He has no arguments. See, what he's doing is he's going to the classic mode of attacking the messenger, but he can't even deal with, for instance, Bill Joyce, why the future doesn't need us anymore. And if you go on Drudge any day, and I'm just using that because it's the biggest website of this kind in the world, I mean, Ridley Scott, aliens exist and will come for us. The uh, preoccupation with aliens is the same thing that the Vatican, what you and and Chris wrote about. So, well, he can, you know, take us on as uh, the, what is it again he calls us? The, uh, I, I love it. I want someone to make a t-shirt. No, 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 uh, the trans, what is it, the transhumanist resistance? Yeah, I mean, he, he, he refers to us as the resistance. And again, uh, people that, want to, um, that would like a copy... I, I had to buy it. I had to buy it. It was published um, in uh, the uh, peer-reviewed academic journal of religion and science. Coming is, from London, that, that well, is... Well, yeah, he, he is a professor at, that teaches at the University of London. And as a matter of sure. fact, I emailed him. I emailed him. I tried to get in contact with him. So far, he's not returned my email. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> he or somebody... Fuck, fuck, meow, meow, meow. Those yeah. are my sound effects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the sound effects. But, yeah, that's, uh, uh, he has not responded. Uh, if he does, then, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest to report whatever it is that he wants to say. Uh, there's people that are not in that end list at the end of his article that he also mentions, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He basically just he tried to take everybody who is maybe a leading voice right now in the prophecy uh, uh, circle. The people that are talking about world events and trying to put them into perspective, and um, and tried to you know castigate them in whatever way uh, that he could, and of course the Center for Advanced Study in Religion and Science, that's like a mother organization over the Journal of Religion and Science, uh, and they're very associated with the University of London. And the research that I did, I found out that this is like the number one. It's the number one organization in the world with the largest reach. 
Well, these people have full-on decided that they're going to take me and you to task, Steve, and they're going to do the best they can to try to stereotype us as uh, on the fringe uh, and, uh, you know, to um, whatever, you know, to try to, to try to get people not to listen to us or to perceive us as too much on the friend, too radicalized, whatever the melee. But the well, point here, is, I wear it as a badge of honor. The the minute that I yeah. saw this was published, um, I was like, wow, thank you very much. Thank you for identifying us as as the biggest problem that you have on planet Earth uh, to stop the spread of Christian transhumanism. I appreciate it. It's a great deal. I love you. Thank me you. Too, me too. Here, here's the ultimate. Here's the ultimate point that I think if we can make this point tonight and and people pray about it, take it to the Lord. The one thing that Satan hates, the one thing the fallen angels hate, is the fact that we're creating the image and likeness of a living God, and they're not. They have tried to destroy that image. Everything that God created, and He saw that it was good in the Book of Genesis, has been genetically or modified from the weather to everything that God created was good for our benefit. Every blessing He's given. This guy, this University of London professor, again, I would say this: You need to go down to the City of London, Mister Whatever Your Name Is, and go talk to the boys that bring out the giants, Gog and Magog. And sir, while you're at it, you need to learn the uh, legends of the British Isles and you need to go look up Bodica, and you need to deal with all of the your history. You need to go and look at the giant chalk figures. You need to go and look at the evidence beyond your arrogance and beyond your implied uh, pseudo-intelligence. By the way, if there's an artist out there, I'm going to make an offer, okay? If there's an, off, uh, an artist, and you're a skilled artist, you know, some of you who have ever done graphic novels, if you want to come up with a really cool design for uh, the uh, the transhumanist resistance or takeoffs of it, you know, I'll give you $500. And I mean that because I would like them, what we'll do is we'll give it to Doug and let, you know, I'll pay for the design, Doug, and then people can have T-shirts. I'll wear it. I Simply, I am the resistance to transhumanism, <laughs> you know. And, and by yeah, the way, I love it, man. I love yeah, it. I love that we so, have hey, 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 the yeah. resistance. Yeah, so here's the thing. You know, when I started writing about, and, and look, I'm only saying this because it's the middle of drudge tonight. Rise of the sex machines. I remember talking about that in Genetic Armageddon uh, 15 years ago. $15,000 robot companion. What they're doing is the very thing I quote all the time. Except the days be short and there be no flesh left alive. They are absolutely emasculating the American male. They're Providing him with the, uh, you know, robotic release he needs. Same thing for women, and everything is dehumanizing. So that guy can basically choke on his own vomit, that is my opinion, and does, because all he's doing is regurgitating, uh, uh, I would say, an inherent arrogance that he knows better than us, and that, you know, the thing is, Tom, you wrote Blood on the Altar. Ladies and gentlemen, if there was ever a prophetic book written that needs to be gotten from all of you, you need to get it from Skywatch. Is it on your shopping cart? Yeah, I mean it is, and and it's been amazing because um, that book Blood and we did do and we did do a Hagman show on it at the time, uh, Blood on the Altar. But it is amazing how prophetic that book has been and how much it's being we fulfilled are, today. Um, we are. I want to tell people 
Um, we have barely, um, we have, honestly, we have not even scratched the surface of what's in uh, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters book in the upcoming documentary film. I mean, there's so much stuff, the macaw, the, 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 the scarlet macaw, the birds that were brought from Mesoamerica, uh, an influence of the Aztec and the Maya that came down through the Anasazi trade routes in, in the earliest part of American history. The most, people don't even, they don't know anything about this at all, but the reason why the macaw birds were important uh, has to do with their association with being able to communicate with the unseen realm. The macaw, because they can talk, these are exotic birds that can speak, like parrots, right? Um, they were perceived by these early cultures as being almost like what we would call a familiar, you know, like the uh, witches would use a black cat, a familiar, or they would transform into a black cat uh, and, and provide this, this uh, bridge between the other world. There's an entire section in our book that provides information around why they were using the, fe- the, the birds, the macaw, and their feathers and their dance rituals, how they wound up. Here in the United States, they, they, they are what we today call the United States, early America. They tried to actually raise and breed them here, but and it didn't work because they can't survive in the, in the you know the desert uh, Midwest here. Um, but but they were doing this because they saw them as intermediaries between this reality and another reality, and this goes back to the book of Enoch and how it says they sinned against the animals, they begin modifying the animals. Did they do something? Did they create animals that have the ability of language to communicate with another reality? It sounds strange, right? But the more and more... No, because, judge- no, hey, Tom, no, I can't resist. No, it doesn't sound strange because I just you just read to me a literal proof that dumbasses can speak. <laughs> well... But also that animals can see into the spirit realm. This is a biblical precept. Yes. Balaam's donkey, right? Yep, a biblical precept that some animals can see into the spirit realm. Well, the, the pagans, though, they believed that the macaw and their ability to speak, and they were using languages to communicate with an unseen realm in a way that today nobody does. The, you know, animals that can repeat sounds, languages, nobody, they don't think nothing about it, right? But that was not true in the ancient world. We uncover stuff like that. We uncover references in Ezekiel 13 of the magic bed of Babylon and Og. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that create the cassetoth, the magic bands. These were the copper arm bands, Steve, that you were talking about earlier today that can bind the giants or that can allow for the release of the giants up from the underworld. People don't know that this is actually even, it's in the Bible, it's in the book of Ezekiel. So we break all of that down. Uh, the hags, the ghosts, and the kiva, and the kivas in early American belief, um, the gateway to another dimension. Anyway, I know we're out of time. But the whole point is, we, we didn't even get started tonight on the level of information that is covered. The new giant study that uncovers that rare DNA changes that can affect human height, and that right now in the United States of America, talk about your book, Xenogenesis, right now in America, 
Uh, and this is the largest study of its kind to date. The International Genetic Investigation of Anthropomorphic Traits, or the acronym GIANT Consortium, has uncovered 83 new DNA changes that affect human height. And this is one of the largest studies in the United States of America. It, 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 uh, it involves roughly 250,000 people that are being studied for one explicit reason, and that is to locate what in the human genetic code leads to gigantism. Now, why in the world would they be all that concerned about finding this genetic code that leads to gigantism? Anyway, there's so much information. Get the book, get the DVD, uh, make sure you register for the conference in Branson, Missouri. There's going to be probably 3,000 people there. You're going to be hearing a lot about this in mainstream media and news uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but nobody else has the Hagman special. Hagman-Enoch is the promo code. Do that at skywatchtv.com. Uh, and, uh, and I look forward to meeting people, Steve, uh, at our conference in September. This well, is going to be great, again. guys. It's going to hey, be great. And, you, and, and, uh, Tom, I just want to say thank you so much. I, I want to re, uh, remind people, Hagman, Enoch, uh, in the promo code or in the uh, notes section. But go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, and uh, Steve, close it out. Tom, thank you so much. Steve, thank you. Steve, close it you're out welcome. for us. Well, ladies ahead, and gentlemen, you're seeing what we've been warning about for decades now, the vilification of the identification, the vilification, nullification, and ultimately the death of those who will not bow down to the image of the beast, whether it's robotic, whether it's a composite, whether it's a chimera. I would encourage you all, and because this is so prescient that uh, people are now starting to identify, there is a resistance. Again, I want to make this clear. Please, if you're an artist, I'll give $500 to the winning artist that comes up with basically the transhumanist resistance, a logo, uh, even a secondary statement uh, that Doug can get the t-shirts printed and you'll be able to support Doug. And by the way, I just put, Doug, all my books, all of them, everything I've written with the exception of the new one, into uh, the Steve Quayle Total Collection. Uh, there's a story today on, um, I'm sorry, Drudge, that people are turning away from electronic books. I think that's a good thing. People never understood the whole point in going to electronic medium was to be able to control everything that was ever written. So you know, my special, I think, is 120 bucks off. It's everything I've written, and I think it'll be a blessing to you in the years to come. Just go to stevequail.com, and again, gen6conferences.com. Looking forward to meeting everybody. I think it's going to be a conference that basically is unparalleled, because unless you go to the conference, you're not going to see some of the stuff, because we're just not putting it out publicly. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Tom. We're at the very end of our show. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Until tomorrow.